You two take care of labor. Only intended for a plane captain. You don't want to die of coal, toll free. Crisis averted last night as Aaron Mansfield, locally known as the movie monster boy, was saved from wandering into traffic by his dog, Bootsy. According to locals, Mr. Mansfield was seemingly in a trance state and kept repeating, where's Derek? Where's my cowardly co-host with the most stupid, dummy, thick buns? We need to record. Where is he? The Derek in question co-hosts what's known as a podcast with Mr. Mansfield. We reached out to him for comment. That's the intro we're going to go with today, huh? I was kept in the dark on that one. Good job, bud. Uh, welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by movie monster boy Aaron and me, the cowardly co-host Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike, as you can tell by that very clever, fun intro that I didn't know about. Shelby Scott of the wonderful Scare You to Sleep podcast is is back on this time for some found footage uh, another thing is i was on your front page shelby and i see this nice little tote bag that says meet me at the haunted lighthouse and it's pretty cool and i kind of want to buy it so thank I'm you yeah maybe be digging into your merch store soon thank so. you for uh plugging my merch right up top that's nice yeah i know right <laughs> but uh yeah no i was just i was just on your website i haven't caught up in a while i I think I'm on the dark Reddit six. So listeners, for those of you who don't know and didn't listen to the last episode where Shelby was on for, please go back and listen to that. But I'll let you take it if you want to describe what Scary to Sleep is and if there's any projects you want to plug right up top. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, Scary to Sleep is a podcast, a podcast, as that news reporter said, (laughs) (laughs) where I read you scary bedtime stories. Basically, I read horror fiction, but sometimes like the dark Reddit episode, I tell you about scary shit I found on Reddit because Reddit is a horrifying place. (laughs) I read them at kind of a lower level than you'll probably hear me here with lots of sound effects and binaural stuff to make it feel like you're there and to soothe you to sleep if counting sheep is just not your speed. Hell yeah. It's one of the podcasts that I've been subscribed to since you were just on Spotify, but it's nice that you're back on all all the platforms because I I, I mostly listen on Apple. Yeah. So please go check that out. I mean, that's like a forever recommendation on our show. Oh, thank you. Scary to Sleep is one of the best storytelling in general podcasts, but definitely the best horror storytelling I've I've come across. Well, yeah, thank sure. you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Aaron, how have you been, bud? Uh, you know, the world is on fire and everything's awful, but otherwise fine. <laughs> I was just about to go, my world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it. I'm get bored. Hey, now you're world's on fire. How about yours? Just the same. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jump off cliffs. Yeah, right. Uh, fine. Honestly, just trying to make my way in the world and uh, watch some scary movies. So doing good. With that, uh, we will get into our recommendations section because um, with Shelby here and the movie we're tackling today, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, so for new listeners and anyone returning, our recommendation section is where we recommend to each other other horror media that is different from the movie we're tackling today, be it other movies, TV shows, podcasts, video games, books, etc. Guest always goes first. So Shelby, what uh, horror have you been getting into lately? I've been thinking about this all day. And I was like, I'm so unprepared for this section. Last time I brought you like books. And it was great. And I had a few people reach out to me who listened to your show and was like, I read that book you recommended. And it's horrifying. And it's really disgusting. And I was like, I said it was <laughs> going to be you, you told yep. them. I, did, <laughs> I them up. You. There you go. In fact, your old guest, Andrew Parker, <laughs> 
He told me, he's like, I read that book you said, and it was just as bad as you said it was. So um, <laughs> my recommendation is, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank today. You guys, I'm sorry. Like you said, the world's on fire. Um, my brain has been kind of mush lately, and I haven't been doing as much uh, horror escapism as I should be. No, that's totally fine. So that's m- my recommendation is to myself, I should probably do more of that. <laughs> yeah, and if you think of anything like, well, Aaron and I talk, uh, feel free to chime in. For sure. Uh, funny that Andrew said that because he was on again for Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox. Yeah, of all things. <laughs> Some of the most fucked up shit you can watch. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love that. But uh, shout out to Andrew Parker, Crypto Podcast. Go check that out. All right, cool. Well, Aaron, have you gotten into horror lately? Uh, yeah, I got a couple things to throw out. So firstly, newish movie. It is on Shutter. I believe it's a Shutter exclusive. It is The Seller from this year, 2022, directed by Brent. Brendan Muldowney and starring Alicia Cuthbert, star of Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) Mostly at this point known for the show 24. Um, She was also in Old School Love Actually, The Girl Next Door, House of Wax. This is a family that moves into an oopy spoopy house. The seller in question is even more oopy spoopy and their teenage daughter disappears into the cellar. And as they are searching for her, they start to uncover all of this kind of creppy occult stuff about the house. And it kind of sets them on this path of trying to discover what the mystery of this whole situation is. It's fine. It's very by the books for the entire beginning. I guess let me preface by saying this. This is maybe the most Fulci, non-Fulci movie I've seen in a long time. It has that weird, kind of floaty, dreamlike quality of his movies. It reminds me a lot of The Beyond. It reminds me a lot of House by the Cemetery. Uh, Is it as disjointed as The Beyond? Kind of. (laughs) Okay. It's it's like a Fulci movie without the gore, put it that way. No eye trauma? No no, no eyeball (laughs) trauma, right? Alicia Cuthbert is American, or I think she might be Canadian, actually. Yeah. But the rest of the cast is Irish? What? Scottish? That's so odd. It may be set in Ireland, right? So it's weird because everybody has these very strange, indefinable accents. <laughs> it's like people from nine different countries doing American accents, but not quite pulling it off. So it has that Fulci feel where everybody's being dubbed, you know what I mean? Kind of weirdly. And it has that weird floaty feeling. And the ending of the movie, I think, is what's fun because it really goes full. Full bananas at the end. Oh, sweet. The entire ending is straight out of the beyond. Think the ending of that movie, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like that, but it goes a little bit further. Worth it just for the usual, like... Oh, we're investigating all these occult happenings at this house and this whole mythology and this story. Kind of like the movie we're talking about tonight. (laughs) But it definitely goes to an interesting place, I think. So does it start off following the tropes of like a haunted house movie, then becomes a possession movie or... Not really possession movie, but it's definitely like there is a portal to another realm in this house, dot, 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 hence the daughter disappearing, right? Interesting. (laughs) What does he say again in Event Horizon? A dimension of pure madness, pure evil or whatever. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's basically that idea. And when I was watching it, I was like, this feels a lot like Fulci. And then, okay, shout out to Colors of the Dark. I was listening to their new episode and Elric or Rebecca brought that movie up. I can't remember who brought it up. And they said the same exact thing. So I was oh, like, okay, funny. I'm not crazy if I'm thinking this feels like Fulci, right? So that one was pretty fun. I think if you're wanting like anything that's new... Okay, this is one to at least just check out because yeah. it does some fun stuff. It's cool to hear Alicia Cuthbert's name too. I feel like I haven't heard her name in so long. And like, it's weird to yeah, say for totally. you to say she's the mom because the last time I remember it, uh-huh. she was always like the teenage girl. And, you know, yeah. that's how I know I'm getting old. And, <laughs> exactly. And even like 20 years ago, because fucking 24 is now like a 20 year old show. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she was Jesus. like the teen daughter in that show that gets kidnapped. Yeah. Even like add the 20 years on there alicia cuthbert is still not really old enough to have a 16 year old daughter in this yeah movie, you know she was jack bauer's daughter wasn't she yeah yeah i totally, yeah, totally. forgot all about that yeah, and she was like shit. yeah like old school she was the teenager who he yeah. finds out later is the teenager and like yeah so yeah that one was fun again that's the seller that is on shutter right now the second movie is a Hong Kong horror action adventure movie called The Seventh Curse from 1986, starring Su Ho Chin, Chow Yun Fat, and yeah. Maggie Chung. Oh, wow. So it's got a great cast. Yeah, I pulled up the cast, and Chow Yun Fat is the top bill. Yeah, and Chow Yun Fat is like the literal pipe smoking professor man in what? this movie even way back then yeah which was totally weird to see young chow yun fat yeah hard-boiled the killer's era not jumping sideways in a church yeah. with two guns <laughs> while like doves fly in the background right this was literally him like wearing safari gear smoking a pipe and talking about the worm tribe so yeah, this was a Hong Kong horror action adventure movie about a super cop who is suave with the ladies and always gets the bad guys, and he is stricken with a seven-layer blood curse, and he must venture into the jungle and defeat the leader of the Worm Tribe and other monsters in order to lift the curse from himself. This was purely a, okay, cool, 88 films out of the UK. They've been doing great work, they've been putting out a lot of awesome kung fu stuff what is this movie that they're about to put out in like a month do i want to order this let me find out so i found it online watched it it's dope i'm definitely gonna pick up the blu-ray when it comes out it's ridiculous fun like there is a weird skeleton with glowy eyes that turns into a giant kaiju monster i'm looking at the images right now yeah all kinds of like weird monsters yeah seven layer blood curse i mean yeah there's these moments where they'll be like fighting all these dudes and all of a sudden his leg will just start veiny popping and exploding and just blood spurt out of his leg and he's like uh number five uh the curse you know just oh god we gotta go faster oh god i see the skeleton now this is like peak 80s horror that's awesome yeah oh yeah it's a golden harvest movie so it definitely has that insane like what the fuck is this kind of monster bullshit Uh, i love on the wikipedia page for it under reception it just says one reviewer said the seventh curse is weird crude gross and tasteless silly and shocking but god (laughs) is it fun and like doesn't even state which reviewer this is yeah. or where it came from. It just said one reviewer said this. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. I had a lot of fun with it. So I'm I'm very excited to see like a good transfer of it and subtitles that make sense and everything else. Yeah, some of these screenshots look like they could be airbrushed on the side of a van. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> 
totally. I was going to say weird aside since I brought up Wikipedia. By the way, for those of you who are interested, we are totally referenced on the Wikipedia page for Blood Rage, by the way. I don't know if no you knew way. that. No yeah. <laughs> way. Yeah. Under the last section on the page in other media where we're mentioned there is for our annual Blood Rage episode. So Hell FYI. Yeah. So yeah, that's the seventh curse. 88 films out of the UK is about to put it out on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it will be a Region B Blu-ray disc that you'll have to import and you'll have to have a region-free player for. So I'm hoping you know, maybe Arrow or somebody puts it out for the US. Do you have a region-free player? Specifically for this, like these kind of movies? Yes. That's, yeah. It's something that I got during COVID when everything first started just because I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get all the stupid overseas movies that I have not seen that I've been wanting to see and just rack up on cheap stuff and import a bunch of stuff. It is a little weird to me that those wouldn't work on like the PS5 because I know certain games that get physical releases but the physical release only happens in like the UK or even Japan. Games are different. Yeah. Also like if we're going to get kind of deep into Nerd Corner for a minute here 4K ultra high def discs are all region free. So you can buy 4K discs for from anywhere in the world, they will work in any 4K player. DVD, Blu-ray are still region-locked things, and you okay. have to have a player that is for that region. That's so crazy. Or you have to spend a little bit of extra money and get a hacked, region-free disc player. But then you can order discs from literally anywhere in the world, and mm-hmm. you can play them. I, I mentioned this to you, Shelby, on our Changeling episode that you were on, the Fatal Frame game that got re-released. I bought physical copies. Yes, that's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, from yeah. Japan and they work on my Switch and on my uh, PS5. I just can't use the DLC because the DLC is which region locked, but otherwise uh, they work. And they're in English too, wow. and they have English voice huh. actors. There's another game, Aaron, that I recommended a while back called Tormented Souls. And while that game is like an indie game you can download on any digital, because I'm a physical media boy, I bought the physical media from the UK, and that also works on my PS5, no problem. Yeah. So That's good to know. It's weird to yeah. me. I certainly mm-hmm. don't get everything. Yeah, you know, like sometimes things are cheaper to get like an overseas copy, but like 88 Films has been putting out a lot of good stuff in the UK. Mm-hmm. Arrow still has a lot of UK specific stuff that they yeah. don't release in the States. They just announced they're doing Dario Argento's Tenebrae in 4K in a oh. same matching set like everything else. Awesome. And again, luckily that is 4K, so it'll work mm-hmm. in US players. You still got to like import that copy from the UK, but you don't have to have a player that'll work. Okay, all right, Nerd Corner's done (laughs) talking about physical media. Uh, Last two things I have to mention are tangential horror. Stick with me. Mm -hmm. The first thing is Moon Knight. I didn't want to talk about Moon Knight until I was completely finished with it. I was going to bring up Moon Knight, too. So I guess let's let's talk about that. Moon Knight, of course, is the new Marvel TV show on Disney+. Plus. It is being produced by Muhammad Diab and Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, directed through the episodes. And they are certainly horror boys, having done Mm -hmm. Resolution and Spring and The Endless and Synchronic recently. The show stars Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and Mae Kalamawe. And Oscar Isaac again. Yeah, oh, yeah. And Oscar Isaac yeah. again and again and again. I love that his brother apparently like acted against him in the scenes where he was supposed to be talking to himself. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. I don't know. I don't know if you read that. Yeah, yeah. I had not heard that. Yep. That's actually fairly common. Yeah. That's one of those weird things that blew my mind open when I was a kid, learning that Linda Hamilton in yes! Terminator 2. I love that. The scenes where yeah. there are two of mm-hmm. her because the liquid Terminator is 
impersonating her. It's actually her twin sister. Yes. So there is no trickery there. Like, it's just her and her sister. The scene where she's in his head is his, his yes. her sister, too. Yeah, and they did, a, like, a whole thing. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. That was stuff that kind of blew my mind. So that's, that's why that they did that for this show. But yeah, for those that don't know, like, this is a new entry character into the whole MCU franchise. This character's been around since, what, the 70s in the comics? Yeah, and they've been fairly consistent with what he's like in the comics. And in the comics, that character has always been in between, like, Punisher Luke Cage Street style and then, like, Mm -hmm. Blade Supernatural. Like, he's always crossed between the both of them as, like, the dark side of of the streets, basically. Mm -hmm. He's definitely on the, like, weird horror side of the Marvel comics. I know the character debuted in Werewolf by Night, which they're doing a Werewolf by Night, like, Halloween special for Disney+. Plus. Michael Giacchino is directing it, oddly enough, and Gael Garcia Bernal is playing the main character. Um, So that'll be super interesting. But yeah, Moon Knight is essentially Oscar Isaac has multiple personalities. All of those multiple personalities all happen to be weird variations of the avatar of the Egyptian god of judgment, and he is essentially a mummy boy superhero. It's a moon god, too. In Egypt, beating the hell out of people, and there's lots of mummy antics, and there's lots of insane Egyptian god monsters showing up in the show it's great i was happy that they actually went mon- like they actually did it like i don't know yes, yes. you know what i mean <laughs> yes i i, I didn't want to like give away Without like spoiling. Hints, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but let's just say yeah by that last episode they go there they they mm-hmm. go all the way with the weirdness so i was very down with that well it wasn't as horror as i was expecting it to be which take it or leave it but it, it has to still be accessible like i guess to most people but there was enough horror elements to it and moon knight just naturally is a character that has horror elements to him as well. Yeah. There were moments that were like genuinely pretty awesome as far as stuff goes because like there was were one or two episodes where it felt like Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Absolutely. And then like there were other moments where he's exploring his own head and they like enter that room where like it's all the dead bodies and they all have pale eyes and they're all just mm-hmm. sitting there and like all these tables and that was a genuinely like creepy fucking moment. Oh, it, literally in the first episode he's chased by like a fucking mummy hound creature thing through this museum. I mean, there's all kinds of like little horror bits and pieces throughout it. And then before you find out about Koshnu, those scenes where he's stalked by him and it's just a skeletal bird thing that you can barely see and it's just like, what the the, hell is this? Yeah. Yeah. You see it in the background and stuff. Yeah, there there are moments that were like genuinely pretty creepy. So I think it's a good horror adjacent piece of media. Yeah. And it was a fun entry like into the MCU. I'm excited to see how they incorporate him into the later stuff because surely this is not going to be like a one-off kind of thing right yeah i mean Mm -hmm. oscar isaac is just fun to watch i mean period oh yeah he's always fantastic totally so last thing i'll mention is guess what also horror jason also a marvel movie yes it is uh doctor strange in the multiverse of madness you Mm -hmm. went and saw it reason i'm bringing it up is it's directed by sam Sam raimi Raimi. like that alone qualifies it for conversation like the director of the evil dead movies and drag me to hell like yeah there we go the best way to watch a horror movie i think is to see it in a full crowd because you get this energy going where the audience collectively gets afraid and it spreads throughout the crowd like wildfire if it's working. If there's a good scare and it's working, they'll shriek. They'll shriek their heads off in unison. And if you've made the movie and you've got a horror movie in a good house and a good crowd like that, there's no greater thrill in the world to watch him scream. You just kind of giggle in the background. <laughs> it's great.
great. It's, uh, you really feel like you're entertaining him and you, that it's working. You know, once again, Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, Benedict Wong, Rachel McAdams are all back. This one is also introducing Zoshi Gomez as America Chavez. I dug it. It was fun. Now, this is the absolute most you have to be into the MCU. You have to be keeping up with everything. That's what I've heard. You have to be current. You can't just drop into this. Someone told me you had to have watched all of WandaVision. Yeah. 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 I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler per se, but she's the main antagonist for the entire movie. Mm -hmm. And you have to have seen that entire show to know what's happening, period. Like, you can't just jump in without having seen that. Especially the last trailer to, like, set it up that she was that way anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, on one hand, this is the most insanely convoluted you have to have seen everything it is non-stop just go 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 like it does not let you kind of stop to soak in like what you're actually looking at and what's Mm -hmm. going on but it is fucking leaning hard into the horror side of things i was gonna say how does zombie strange look did he look good really good really most of it is actually benedict cumberbatch in a ton of makeup. It's not really? like CGI. <gasps> yeah. Wow, oh, that's uh, great cool. to hear. There, there were a lot of practical effects in this. For as much CGI nonsense as you're going to get in a Marvel movie, yeah. there was a lot of practical stuff going on here. There were way more practical sets than I thought there would be. Wow. There was way more practical makeup and costumes and just stuff than mm-hmm. I was expecting. Zoshi Gomez is great as America Chavez. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of her Cumberbatch was good in this one. He's not as kind of, I guess, irritatingly just a recycle of Robert Downey Jr. in a lot of ways with the quips and whatnot. You know, he's kind of settled into that character now, and this is kind of a more assured of himself and not having to be as arrogant kind of Doctor Strange. But everybody else in it is great. This is probably Elizabeth Olsen's best performance of any of these Marvel things. Like, as good as she is in WandaVision, because she's doing a lot of fun acting and she's having to do these different types of characters. Mm -hmm. And obviously just the core of that show being so much about grief and loss, this version of her just going full blast is really super fun. But yeah, I mean, it's nuts in terms of leaning into the horror. It goes way deep in all the Scarlet Witch lore. Him literally like mind transporting into bodies in different universes and literally at one point, like you said, resurrects like a dead Doctor Strange (laughs) who's like rotting and falling apart and just full evil dead zombie style. Sweet. There's a whole segment where a different version of Wanda goes full evil dead possessed crazy and is chasing them. There's monsters, there's demons, there's all kinds of crazy shit. Cool. Uh, I I keep hearing that like it's very Sam Raimi because not only do you need to know everything about the MCU going to the movie, but it would also really help if you're a Sam Raimi fan because he constantly is referencing like his own shit. I loved the interview he gave where he said he didn't watch WandaVision. He just got the points and I was like, that's so Sam Raimi. I love that. I love that he didn't actually 
watch everything. And he was just like, I got the gist. I'll do it. But then still somehow managed to make it. And it works. To where you need to know the lore. Like he, yeah. he's a genius. Yeah. And it totally worked considering he only got the broad strokes of mm-hmm. that story. But yeah, like it's way more like kind of fun, gory splatter ridiculous than I was expecting a Disney movie to be. Wow. Lots of fan service. Lots and lots <laughs> of deep, weird, goofy. You have to kind of know what you're looking at for both the comic side of it. But like you said, also the Sam Raimi side of it. Because there's moments where like, oh shit, there's the car. And oh shit, there's Bruce Campbell. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Oh my God. Yay. Yeah. So there's lots of good little moments like that. I had fun with it. Look, I at this point, I am not expecting greatness out of <laughs> any of the Marvel movies. I just want to be fucking entertained. Yeah. And this one totally did that. So I, I had a good time with it. Well, it seemed to have reignited a love of Sam Raimi. And like I like today, exactly. I noticed a lot of people are yeah. discovering Sam Raimi. In fact, I don't know if you were on anybody was on Twitter today. There has been a huge thing on Twitter arguing about Drag Me to Hell. And I think, yes. Yes. Which is I a, think yeah, some people great movie, heard yeah. about Sam Raimi and watched that for the first time and were so mad about it, which is hilarious to me that they were so mad about it. Someone said that the ending was immoral. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, uh, I was catching up on DMs uh, on our Twitter earlier today, and I saw that Drag Me to Hell was trending. I was like, yeah. this has to be because of Doctor Strange, and so I clicked on it and was reading through the post. And yeah, it was mostly because of Doctor Strange, but like then there were weird arguments about the ending of Drag Me to Hell. Yes. People are like, that ending is evil. It's just mean it's and evil. It's not and okay, like, and if you think oh, it's, it's okay, then you're a bad person. Yeah. And it, it was so weird. I was like, what year is it? Like, yeah, did you really? know what fucking movie you're getting into? The movie is called Drag Me to Hell. What did you think? was gonna happen the tagline says she gets dragged to hell i can't remember the exact tagline but in the tagline he says what the ending is like he literally did yeah mr raimi does not lie but yeah i (laughs) if if you have any love for the evil dead movies for dark man for his spider-man movies for a simple plan you know the the, like highbrow sam raimi this yeah. movie's it's fucking fun. It is totally awesome. worth checking out. Is Ted in it at all? I did not see Ted Raimi, but yeah. then again, I did not sit and like really stare at the credits. Put it this way, the movie's not long. Surprisingly enough, this is one of the shorter Marvel movies. Really? Like, right okay. at two hours. But I immediately got up, ran to the restroom, came back to see the like post-credits nonsense, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't see if Ted Raimi happened to be in it, like in a weird, cheeky kind of cameo. He probably is. He's probably the stupid voiceover for some demon monster in it and it's just him in a microphone going bah yeah I, w- I was talking to a guy in the theater afterward and we were just kind of chit-chatting and being dorks as we were walking out still talking about the movie one of the theater workers was just like hey did you enjoy the movie i heard it was really corny <laughs> And we just kind of turned around and we were like, it is corny, but it's corny in like a Sam Raimi way, which is the best corny. Yes. And he was just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go see it then. Yeah, go fucking see it. Well, that, that was the thing like when I was reading reviews, you know, like it's not scoring as high metacritically as like some of the other M- MCU movies. But it's fun. But the only cares. criticisms I was reading is that it was Sam Raimi. <laughs> like it's like yeah. a Sam Raimi movie. So where's the criticism? Yeah. Of course it's going to be yeah. corny. It's fucking Sam Raimi. Yeah. Endgame came out three years ago. We're done. Mm-hmm. Like, Marvel has peaked. You, you can't get higher than in Let them do what they like. Let fucking done. Directors do what they do want to do want. and have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. Well, that's that's all I've got. So, Derek, do you have anything, sir? Yeah, I got three things. I have a graphic novel, 
a novel and a movie. Cool. We'll start off with a graphic novel, and it's one I've actually read a while back, and I just haven't brought it up. Kind of, I guess, saved it in case I didn't have recommendations. Because Shelby, I like you. There have been a couple weeks where I struggled to have anything because I, you know, my <laughs> to horror have feelings or consumption. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm a stay-at-home parent, so like my horror consumption is definitely like um, the opportunities are a lot less now but yeah this graphic novel and it's it's done by an author who uh i have talked about before in recommendations it's actually a manga it is gyo by junji ito Ooh, okay anything yeah from, by junji ito i mean exactly anything and uh i i talked about uzumaki which is like his most famous work mm-hmm. back on i don't even remember what episode that was on and i immediately turned around and bought all his other stuff that i could get my hands on oh yeah some of it's hard to come by because some of it was translated printed and then is out of print now it's like hard to come by but i was able to score gyo as well as his other famous novel, Tomei. I haven't read Tomei yet, but I will say Gyo is interesting. The horror that it goes into, the directions it goes in are not what I expected. They actually go kind of sci-fi. Really? Which uh, I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. And Hmm. the thing I did like is once again, kind of like Uzumaki, it's kind of centered around a couple and there's a relationship between uh, this guy named Tadashi and his girlfriend, Kiori. It kind of starts there before like this apocalypse slowly starts unfolding. So what Gyo is, it's about something called the death stench. Yep. When people start smelling the death stench, most people start getting infected by the death stench. And it could start off as like some sores randomly on your arm and this and that. Uh, and what's causing the death stench at the start of it are fish. The fish smell rotten and they're like they're releasing this gas. And the fish start walking on land, like on spider legs, basically. Of course they do. And then it's yes. slowly escalating. Yes. And now like all the sea creatures are like now walking on land with like all these spider legs. It goes in some really gross places. When someone becomes infected, they have to start releasing the gas and they start doing it through their mouth and through their ass. So it's like people farting and burping the gas out and the stench to spread it more. Or the manga isn't quite as good as Uzumaki is. I think Uzumaki Mm -hmm. is a more complete work. And I would say Uzumaki is scarier. Like there was some like legitimately terrifying imagery. There's a lot of like cosmic existential dread to Uzumaki. This one is mostly just vomit inducing gross. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Gyo is like is way grosser than Uzumaki. And Uzumaki had some gross shit in it. But like, I think Gyo was really Junji Ito's personal goal to try and fucking just gross out as many people as he could and see if he could possibly make people vomit just from reading something. And again, like Junji Ito's art and manga and graphic novels and comics, you're not going to find art like this. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. up a little bit of the art right now. and it's- Yeah, that's just his style. Like, Aaron, I think you described it best when I brought up Uzumaki back then. Like, have you ever looked at pictures and gotten like severe anxiety as if you're being jump scared, like in a really terrifying horror movie? Or in Aaron's case, had claustrophobia, but like you're just reading something in the yes, comfort of your home. I've definitely and had like that. looking at an image. Mm-hmm. That's what Junji Ito is like. Just the way he draws horror is fucking incredibly gross, horrifying, and like no other person 
the beauty about Gyo too is it has interpersonal relationship between them. It starts showing you like all this weird shit that's going on. If you read a lot of Junji Ito's like short stories and even Uzumaki, it never really quite explains sometimes what the horror is. Yeah. Gyo actually does and that's kind of where the sci-fi comes into play and actually does it in a way that is pretty interesting. Like it leaves it open-ended enough to like where you could kind of draw the dots on your own but like it at least explains kind of the origin of how are these fish walking on land? Where does the stench coming from? Why is it infecting certain people? It's taking over the world basically slowly. How is this happening? I think I appreciate that too because it shows that he can also tackle horror that has actual like origin. You know, sometimes in horror and it follows. I don't need to yeah. know where the entity comes yeah. from. That Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. it's too terrifying to know yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I can't even describe it. It's just so yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah. But in Gio, like it's so fucking strange and weird and gross that I am glad that he explained at least like what the fuck was happening basically. Yeah. Even sure. if like no one could do anything to stop it. The other thing too that I really liked about this is at least with my collection and I think it came with these bonus stories in the original bound volumes but it comes with two stories called The Sad Tale of Principal Post and The Enigma of Amagara Fault. That's one of his better known short stories. Yeah I feel like that one gets passed around a lot. Yeah. And basically that starts off with these human-shaped holes just start forming. (laughs) That one still gets me as many times as I've read it. It gets posted in my Facebook group all the time for Scary to Sleep, and it's still like... Yeah, that idea, like, it's so creepy. It's eerie, yeah. So these human-shaped holes start appearing in the side of this fault, like in the stone. And people start swearing when they see certain ones that that's the exact shape of their bodies. They get kind of brainwashed or like mystified and it ends with them entering their hole naked. (laughs) And they just get sucked into the hole. That's the story. Like it goes from there. That's the part is... When you go in, when you even just to see if it fits you, you can't go backwards because you fit so yep. well that you can't go back out again. And it hits my claustrophobia button like no other, like no other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because is it just a complete two-dimensional hole where as soon as you pass through it, you're just back into an open space again? Or is it a weird, perfectly shaped like you tunnel that you just kind of get... <laughs> into like you said that makes me just go like ah, a little bit you know just nope don't like it well to that <laughs> to that point that it's even implied and one of the guys has like a, a nightmare about it but it is implied that like once you go into the hole and you get sucked so far into it you basically almost like get rolled out like pasta yeah and you become like a <laughs> spaghetti person because you fit so well Stringy. And you're just stuck in this <laughs> stone, basically. Like you're yeah. stuck in this mini cave that is too perfectly fitting for you that you can't escape. And so, like, yeah, if you're claustrophobic, it's your fucking personal hell. Like the one frame in there that gets me is there's a part where it's this guy and girl, and it's I think it's a couple, and they're just explaining what's happening. And he's like standing on a rock with his arms almost like Peter Pan. And it's just the initial, like, wow, look at this crazy new thing we found. And it's like, oh my god, no, he's just gonna go in and be lost forever and And (laughs) if i remember correctly the story starts with like i think just one appearing but then like tons of them appear people like start traveling from all over japan because they see it on like the news Mm -hmm, to see if they fit one yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and they're like one person will be like that's my hole and they'll get fixated on it they'll drive all the way out there get naked and just go into the hole Mm -hmm. and then like it's sucked in uh yeah that is one of his better like short stories and that that comes with Gio. so yeah uh it goes from like super 
super gross vomit inducing horror to like super uh, claustrophobic inducing uh, horror. Fun. Um, yeah. A lot of fun body shivers from that one. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the next recommendation I have is a book. It's a Stephen King book. For Stephen King, anytime I brought him up in the past on recommendations, it's usually his short stories because I am a big fan of his short stories, actually, oh, more than his regular mm-hmm. stories. He put out two books at the same time and one under his pen name, and they apparently take place in parallel universes of each other, um, and it's Desperation and the Regulators. Mm. I went on to Reddit and was looking like, you know, which one should you read first? And people are kind of arguing back and forth, but a couple people kept saying, read Rose Matter first, because one of the side characters in Rose Matter is like the main character in those two. And I was like, okay, I'll check out Rose Matter. So I read Rose Matter. That's my recommendation. Um, Rose Matter is a horror fantasy novel. He put out back in 1995. I think he wrote it from like 93 through 94. It's in one of his weird writing times. I feel like that's kind of more overlooked. Yeah, definitely. He's full blown in like the Dark Tower at that point. I was reading like in his memoir that he wrote, he was saying that when he put out Rose Matter and Insomnia, he felt that both of them were like his trying too hard novels. (laughs) And there are elements of that. This is kind of like one of those things of just, oh, a random object is now like disrupting this person's life. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And Insomnia was definitely not his strongest. Yeah, I haven't read Insomnia, but I will say Rose Matter. So the thing I've been kind of debating and struggling with myself after reading it was I don't know whether or not to call this an underrated Stephen King novel. It's good because it's Stephen King. Like anything he writes is consumable and fairly good, even if it's disappointing. But I don't know if it's good enough to say it's underappreciated, but it is definitely one of his more Mm -hmm. unknown novels. But I'm still digesting and I'm still kind of trying to figure out if I would go as far as saying underappreciated or underrated. So what this uh, novel is about, it's about this woman named Rosie Daniels and her husband, is a severe abuser. So trigger warnings for this book, by the way, a lot of abuse, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of physical abuse, emotional abuse. The book fucking starts with her having a miscarriage because he beat her. It starts with her sobbing in the corner, like bleeding all over the floor mm-hmm. as like her abusive husband is realizing like, I have to do something about this or I'm she may die and I'm fucked. And then kind of jumps forward a few more years after that. One morning she wakes up. She had been bleeding from her nose from one of her husband's abusive episodes. And there's a spot of blood on her bed and she gets fixated on that spot of blood and decides, fuck it, I'm leaving him and just gets out of town. Like just leaves him, steals his ATM card and leaves. Wow. And like the thing is, she's been in this abusive relationship since she was in her 20s. She's never known what it is to be like an adult and to like be an adult in the real life. So it's all these fears of not only just an abuse victim, but someone who like doesn't know how to operate in society. And it, the first part of the novel is about her escaping him, getting into this halfway house for women and starting her new life. In the meantime, her husband named Norman is a cop, a detective. This is a weird bit of, in retrospect, real life horrors. This book isn't kind about police at all, I will say. Mm. The main bad guy is a cop. He's good at it, what he does. He's good at like figuring things out, finding people. But he's such a fucking scumbag. It's almost comical how evil he is. Like He is the most racist, the most homophobic, the most sexist, the most violent, murders prostitutes kind of cop. To the point where, I know, Aaron, you had 
had brought this up when you covered that George R.R. Martin and like you were kind of critiquing George R.R. Martin still using like the N-word even when he's just kind of writing. Yeah, fever dream. Yeah, yeah, and there's a little bit of that with Stephen King in this. Granted, I will give Stephen King the benefit of the doubt. He usually is only using that language when like he's writing from the perspective of Norman. Like he keeps going back and forth between Norman and Rosie. You kind of find out how Norman catches up to her later on in the story. But like anytime you're reading through the Norman parts, it is the most N-word is used a lot. Yeah. F-word is used a lot. He's super just terrible. No redeeming qualities about this guy. Like makes no fucking effort. And again, it, that's where I wonder if that's what Stephen King was talking about when he said maybe this was his trying to hard novel. Because like <laughs> the way he writes this guy is just completely despicable. But then also like even the police that are later introduced seem otherwise ineffectual. Rosie herself is constantly talking about how the police are a brotherhood. They're always going to watch out for their own. And like the other police that she's encountered with him were like also terrible. So like it's interesting to see King write this. Now where the fantasy and horror comes in really mm-hmm. is after she like settles in this new city, she goes to a pawn shop to try and pawn off her ring and in the process finds this mysterious painting that's not necessarily a good painting. It's just very strange. Don't ever buy a strange painting. Yeah, Don't I know, right? It. Yeah, no. <laughs> and it's just this painting of this woman in like a toga standing on the hillside looking down at this temple and like her back is towards you. She gets fixated on this painting. Like she finds out that they don't know where this painting came from. They don't know who the artist was. They find out that the name of the painting is called Rose Matter. Her name is also Rosie or Rose. So she's drawn to this painting. She decides to buy it, brings it back to her like one bedroom apartment, puts it on the wall. And of course, you kind of see where this is going. Like weird shit starts happening. Like crickets start showing up in her room. She lives on one of the top stories of this apartment building. She starts smelling wet grass. And as she's falling asleep, swears that the moon is inside her room and like as you can see that it slowly goes into like her going into the painting yeah meeting rose matter the other thing as to like why i think this was like written during king's whole height of the dark tower saga is because there is there are a lot of references to the dark tower in this book as well yeah there's Mm -hmm. definitely some crossover yeah i've heard i have not gotten into this book yet or either of the two companion books Mm -hmm. that's kind of next on my stephen king list yeah this book mentions the city of love which is a major part of, I think, book three of the Dark Tower. It brings in the idea of Ka, which is Mm -hmm. another element of the Dark Tower in Stephen King. But also this book, we talk about the MCU all the time, but Stephen King has had a shared universe since he wrote his first novel. Like even his short stories will cross over into like and reference other shit. Yeah, and it's so neat when you find a little reference. It's like, oh my God, there it is. And in Rose Matter, it's not just Dark Tower references, but there are also references to Misery. Oh. Is she reading one of the books? She's reading like all the misery books by that author. (laughs) And like, I think they mention in the book somewhere that that author like likes to vacation in like the town near the Outlook Hotel. (laughs) So like King has been kind of cheeky, but like it's obvious that all his books take place in the same shared universe. Yes. And even if you want to go that far, you can always cop out and say like, well, they're different levels of the Dark Tower because each level of the Dark Tower is a different <laughs> universe. So like they all tar- take yeah. place yeah. in the Dark Tower. Stephen King's even in the universe. So yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if how many people know that. I won't. That's a fun one to get to once you do. And you're like, oh, he's here too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's even implied that the Dark Tower like bleeds into our universe as the readers yep. and him as the author. So yeah, yeah. But yeah, so there are like all these references to his other material in this. 
Ultimately, though, I, I feel like this is a horror book about abuse and escaping abuse more than anything. Beyond the supernatural fantasy elements, once the, like, the magic painting is introduced, it really is about how do you cope? And once you finally do cope with that trauma of escaping abuse, do you like succumb to the rage and become like the rose matter and become like just mm-hmm. another problem? Or do you like persevere? And how do you do that? How do you cope? It also has elements of like leaning on others to help you get through it and and on top of that there's like a romantic subplot with a person there in this book too so like it's a dense book like it, it's 420 pages 400, 420 nice <laughs> and uh Stephen King a dense book I've, that yeah, doesn't I know, sound right, right. <laughs> it's a decent read like especially if you're a Stephen King fan or a, definitely if you're a Stephen King completist you definitely need to read this mm-hmm. like I said with the fun connections to desperation and misery and the dark tower just kind of the way this book Lows, I am shocked this has never been adapted and not even like film adapted. I'm surprised this hasn't been turned into a TV miniseries because mm-hmm. even the book lends itself to that the way it flows. Yeah. Instead of chapters, it's like 10 parts and then there are like sub chapters in each of those parts. Oh. But you can make like 10 episodes and each episode is a different part of the book. So yeah, it, it has a lot of trappings of Stephen King, like real world horror on top of this magical supernatural question mark Stephen King's version of Supernatural thrown in there Mm -hmm. and of course there's a ton of references to like Greek mythology with it being the type of painting it is and Mm -hmm. it references a lot of like the idea of a bull or a minotaur like in a maze that whole mythology so I liked it you know is it his best work? Probably not. But, you know, it might be underrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're a Dark Tower fan, I'd give it a read because it's just fun to like see. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, that's one that I have missed. I feel like I've seen the cover. Like when you said the Minotaur, I feel like one of the covers from like the 90s had a Minotaur on it. Like I feel like I've seen. The copy I own has a longhorn skull on it. Like, yes. a, like a bull. Yeah. Yeah. And the bull okay. becomes like a major plot point. And okay. actually some of the scariest scenes in the book involve Norman, the cop, and Mm. a bull. But again, if you're going to go into this book, just be warned. A lot of colorful language, uh, a lot yeah. of non-PC language, especially from Norman himself. But yeah, really interesting book either way. My last recommendation is a movie. And Aaron, I know you're going to probably have a bit to talk about with this movie as well. It's a 1980 psychological slasher called Maniac. I forgot you mentioned you had watched this. Yeah. Analysis Films, the distributors of the controversial box office hit Caligula, now bring you a new challenge. Maniac. No horror that ever froze your blood, no terror that ever pinned you sweating to your seat can prepare you for Maniac. If you think you've seen it all, you haven't seen anything until you've met the challenge of Maniac. No one under 17 admitted. I'm kind of shocked it's not talked about more, to be honest with you. It's an interesting time capsule of a slasher that does things very differently from other slashers and it kind of harkens back even to like Peeping Tom Psycho where you are actually following the killer throughout the entire movie. Ah. The thing I really enjoyed about this movie is 
while you're interested in seeing like how he operates and like what his day to day is, it never makes any attempt to make you feel sorry for him. He is totally despicable throughout the whole thing to the point where this is almost. Would you consider this an exploitation movie, Aaron? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's literally a dude going around murdering mostly women, and it's grungy, unfiltered, gross New York, and. It has lots of splattery special effects by Tom Savini. Oh, I love Tom Savini. Yeah, like Tom Savini literally gets his own head so shotgun, got, shotgun blast. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that this reminded me of a lot is this felt like a movie of the son of Sam. That idea of grimy 1980s, 1970s New York. Oh, 100%. This is that kind of grounded, street-level, delusional, but still somehow very charming and approachable and, like, draws people in kind of serial killer yeah you, you mentioned you, you're surprised this isn't more well talked about i mean yeah it, it is known within the horror hardcore community yeah. but like normies don't know about it right <laughs> even elijah wood helped remake it and starred in it in the 2012 remake yeah, yeah. he did a remake like a pov remake oh that's right yeah back, yeah which is not bad mm -hmm. it doesn't have a lot of the interesting layers that the original movie has and then of course it doesn't have joe spinell i mean joe spinell is one of of those that guy actors from the 70s and early 80s that should have had a fucking amazing career. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, such a crazy death. He died yeah. way too soon. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, he, what he had like hemophilia and he had an accident yep. in his own house or his own apartment and then like went to lay down on the couch and then bled out from his own hemophilia. <gasps> oh, no. Like on the couch. Yeah, I think he like slipped in the shower or something. Yep. But he is amazing in this. So the premise of Maniac is it follows a guy named Frank Zito and he is a serial killer operating in New York City. We basically come in like media res like like he's in the middle of his killing spree. It seems like he's been operating for a while. He has an obsession with scalping women, like oh. killing them and then like scalping them and bringing their scalps back and putting them on dolls and mannequins. mannequins all over his place to the point where like he will actually like bring mannequins. I can't remember if he stole one or bought one, Aaron, in the movie or just found it in the trash. But like I remember there was a whole scene where like he was sneaking a mannequin back into his own apartment, adding more to his collection. You can't just toss him in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> the movie begins with him having a nightmare of a previous kill and then waking up in his apartment and immediately in his apartment, it's just all these dolls and mannequin all around him and they all have scalps on them. They're all dripping blood and they're like dried blood on all of them for like all the women he's killed. And it basically just kind of follows him in the middle of this killing spree all the way up until like the end of it. And he mostly targets women. I think there's literally only one man he kills. And that's because the man was with his girlfriend or his he wife. He gets in the way. He yep. gets in the way and it's Tom Savini. And he just shotgun blasts that guy's head. <laughs> but with the woman, he doesn't want to ruin the scalp. So like he kills her. I, I think he still uses a shotgun, but he doesn't like shoot her in the head and make her head blow <laughs> off like Tom Savini. Of course, Tom Savini doing the effects is going to give himself the most ridiculous ridiculous fucking gory death yeah it's just kind of him like becoming more and more unhinged as he starts courting this photographer woman that he like doesn't meet in the park more like stalks in the park and she doesn't realize it this is a perfect example of what every fucking weirdo nice guy tm dude thinks they are <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Yeah. They want to be that charming and they want to be that suave with women, but then they're really just probably bringing them back home and scalping them, right? Yeah. It's that kind of thing. And yeah, this movie has one of the all-time most fucking insane bug nuts endings ever, but it's one of the best endings, man. This It's, It's so intense and it's so bananas, but it's a perfect way to end this fucking weird movie. Oh, cool, man. I gotta see this. Yeah, so the movie itself is horrifying just from that exploitative standpoint of you're trapped with this guy like you have to just watch what he's doing at all times and Mm -hmm. half the time it's him like manipulating women and the other half it's him like killing them and like talking to his dead mom and all this shit and then the ending takes this turn and becomes super psychological i don't want to say what actually happens because i don't want to spoil it it's so fucking weird and it's one of the scarier scenes i think i've seen in any movie period like the whole like last 15 to 20 minutes really yeah it turns into like this big psychological like nightmare and don't don't go any further yeah let's just stop there yeah (laughs) another thing i find interesting about this movie and just a lot of the other stuff from this era like i mentioned earlier this is unfiltered, nasty, raw, dirty New York. New York. Mm-hmm. This is 1970s, 80s New York when it was fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was legit crime everywhere, trash everywhere, neon everywhere. Everything was just grimy, wet. <laughs> and there's just so many like <laughs> random real life New York people in the background of this yeah. movie. It's an insane time capsule because New York will never be that way ever again. Wow. Oh, I love time capsule movies. I love that. Yeah, New, New York will never be that way ever again. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned that with a uh, basket case. Yeah. I haven't watched basket case yet, but I'm assuming it's a lot like this. Like it was a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. It has that wild. This is the grimy New York of that era that just doesn't exist. And it's fascinating from that standpoint. That's neat. Yeah. And yeah, that one right now, you can get it via Blue Underground. They actually have a 4K disc of this movie, believe it or not. <laughs> that looks really good, all things considered. That's kind of the definitive release of that that's available right now. And I want to say I watched it on Tubi for free. Oh. Yeah. And it's been on yeah. and off shutter constantly yeah but Tubi has been like on point with all these obscure underappreciated horror movies yeah I'm always surprised when I look up something and it says that it's on Tubi and I'm like oh yeah. okay yeah. yeah and it's great I mean I don't mind the commercials because it's free and the mm-hmm. commercials barely interrupt yeah it's not like it's commercials every five minutes yes you might get three commercial breaks and they're gonna be like a minute and a half yeah 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 so I uh again I'm following my like on and off I'm in this weird mood for underappreciated slasher movies and I decided to watch Maniac and I have a feeling Aaron and I will probably cover it down the line more in detail. We will. I think it's on the list. Because there is a lot to talk about. But yeah, you're right. I wish he hadn't died so early because he was amazing in this movie and then just kind of looking through the other movies he's been in. Joe Spinell has been in so much amazing shit. It's nuts. And he knew 
so many people in the industry that he was just buds with because he's in the godfather he was buds with coppola he was buds with spielberg he was almost in jaws he was supposed to be one of the two guys that go out on the dock at night Mm. with the roast and throw it in there and the shark comes up and like tears the whole thing away from the landing he was supposed to be like one of those two guys and there's this weird video it it was like this uh, hollywood reporter video from back in the day and it was a video that they recorded of spielberg sitting there in front of his tv watching as they announced the oscar nominations the year that jaws came out where it was expected that he would be nominated for best director Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's Spielberg sitting there watching this live thing. They don't say his name, and he's kind of like, uh, mopey and disappointed. And Joe Spinell is just there because <laughs> they were like hanging out, eating breakfast. And it's just Joe Spinell being like, yeah, it's okay, buddy. Don't worry about it. You'll totally get it again later. Fuck these guys. <laughs> Fuck these assholes. You're better than them. And this is just like live on this broadcast. They're watching Spielberg and Joe Spinell is just like, yeah, fuck all of them. Whatever. Let's just go make a movie. So yeah, he seemed like a wildly great guy. Was he in the first like two Rocky movies as well? And like oh, he's in funny. a ton of stuff, dude. He was one of those that guy actors. Yeah, and that was still a thing. But yeah, he like definitely could have had an amazing career had he not died so unexpectedly. Yeah. So yeah, Maniac is definitely on the list. We're gonna do that eventually for sure. Yeah, it's a crazy movie. You're not gonna see anything like. Uh, hmm. So yeah. All right, I I guess we'll move on to uh, the main event. Let's do it. I have notes. Cool. So let's get into the movie that we're covering this week, which is Adam Robitel's found footage hard documentary possession slash uh, snake cult, apparently. The Taking of Deborah Logan from 2014. The story of Alzheimer's is never about one person. Hey. hey, Ma! They want to make a movie about me, isn't that yes, right? Sir. We're going to have fun, right? Yeah. Okay, good. There's no cure. And so when I am in the middle of something and suddenly my mind just leaves the premises, there are no words to describe. This is not normal sleepwalking. You really gave us all quite a fright with your late night gardening. If I encouraged this memory to come out, would she then have some peace? Do you remember a man named Henri Desjardins? Voice changes. Letting all my heat out. Self-alteration. Feeling as if your body belongs to someone else. The notion of spiritual parasites does exist. Feel um, right as rain. So Shelby, like, because <laughs> you, yeah, no, 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 like, we'll, we'll, we won't, we won't do, like, the one of the things you said, we're laughing now, listeners, we'll explain why in a second. Yeah. When we talk about like, future 
episodes you want to come on mm-hmm. for, one of the things you said is, I want to defend the honor of found footage. Maybe we should have gone with a different movie. <laughs> I was movie, so young then. <laughs> no, I'm joking, kind of. But uh, what is it about found footage specifically before we really get into Deborah Logan? Okay, it's so hard to say before this fucking movie. Okay, um, so I love found footage. Last time I was here, I was like, you guys... I'm going to defend it. I love found footage and I do. I still do. Not to like replug my show, but if you've ever listened to my show, you know, I'm really into atmosphere and I'm really into immersion and like anything I can get that's immersive is like my jam and found footage. It's basically built in. It's immersion because you're, I mean, especially the earlier like Blair Witch where people were like, this really happened, right? Because the internet was still young and which um, I actually had the option to pick Blair Witch and I didn't. So again, um, Peek behind the garden. Mistakes all around. Look, I'm human. (laughs) Okay. But speaking of Blair Witch, yes, a lot of found footage has gone viral for seeming so real that people thought it was real. And I appreciate found footage because a lot of times it can be done with a low budget with a really high reward. Paranormal Activity is one of the darlings of the found footage community because it was like a $55,000 budget or something ridiculous and filmed in like some house in San Diego that someone else owned and yeah. shit. And like, and it made a gajillion dollars. It made a gajillion dollars yeah. and it scared Steven Spielberg. He's the reason it got so big is he watched it in his home theater by himself and he said he like couldn't finish it because he was so fucking scared and like every time you know the that nighttime rolls around and it looks so real and everything's so real so that's basically it I'm, I'm a big fan of immersion and i feel like found footage that's what it is is you're supposed to really be like this isn't based on a true story this is a true story in my brain right now that is happening and i am seeing what happened i've never heard anyone describe it as immersion and that makes a lot of sense to me as a reason why this subgenre would work so well for horror. And honestly, too, that's where I struggle with found footage because me being such a film nerd with that kind of background, I am always looking and it's just, it's hard for me to rewire my brain like this, but... You're like looking for like, this is my carpenter I'm shot. I'm constantly <laughs> yeah, looking yeah. for like where the seams are. I'm looking for where the cuts are. I'm looking for, oh God, you would never like shoot this this way or whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, and that's the kind of stuff where like when it comes to found footage i am less looking for the immersion side of it Mm -hmm. necessarily because my my brain just cannot function that way for sure well and that's kind of to your point because you did the lightsaber ceremony at disney with the build your own lightsaber and i asked you like oh man was that like such an amazing moment for you as a star wars fan and you were like i was actually trying to see like how they made everything work yeah (laughs) and this is just like a personality flaw Mm -hmm. of mine it really is but like instead of just being in the moment and loving the fact that my fucking nerd ass is building a lightsaber at the age of 33 and i'm lighting up a lightsaber in a room full of all these other people who are doing it at the same time and there's music going and blah 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 no i'm literally just looking for like the special effects yeah. like i'm looking for like how does all this work well that's why you like behind the scenes stuff so much too. yeah like yeah. i'm looking for all those kinds of things you know and i i'm guilty of that too i am in fact this movie there were a few of the gorier parts there's one in particular where my husband and i, I made him watch it with me i feel bad now but um you'll see why but um (laughs) and i was just like oh 
no, that was like not as well done as it could have been. I mean, I went to school for special effects makeup, so I definitely am guilty of that when it comes to anything that's a lot of gore in movies. Yeah. It completely goes over the immersion because I'm looking at, you know, where the edges are and how, where the pump is and this and that. And like, like you said, where the cuts are and things. And so it's, I can see your perspective on that. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always chasing that dragon. I'm always looking for that thing. Mm -hmm. And found footage is one where like, there are ones that really work for me, but they work for me more because the story happens to be good or the performances happen to be like just at that edge of credibility. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things where like, and we can go deeper into this, but just on the surface, because the two leads in this movie are so good, that's what kind of floats this movie for me because the rest of the people cast wise are like not hitting that. I'm trying to act like a real person and be kind of faking in the moment, but I'm really acting and I know these words that I'm about to say. Like, Yeah, the leads were great in this. I will give it that. Yeah. Before I destroy the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. So something I noticed after we did our Strangers episode uh, with our friend Jonathan, all three of us poo-pooed that movie. And I did notice a downturn in our downloads after that. (laughs) Uh, So I apologize, Shelby, ahead of time if that affects both our podcasts. I love this movie. It was my favorite movie. And... (laughs) No, there there was a lot to like about this movie. Just up top, I'll say that for me, there is a lot I liked about this movie. Something about this movie, and I'll get to you too, Shelby, because I think you and I are on the same page. Something about this movie didn't work for me. I was watching it. It has everything that I would want out of a good horror movie. I can tell like why people love this movie. I can tell why it's, I mean, it has a fucking like 90 plus percent mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. This feels like my horror version of Looper. Like Looper is another movie that people fucking love and I just did not get and I still don't get even after mm-hmm. watching it. And I want to get it. I want to like that movie because everyone loves that movie, but it doesn't work for me. And that's the same thing with the taking of Deborah Logan. There are elements of this movie that just do not work for me. I was kind of yeah. super disappointed at like how much I wasn't into this movie. This isn't very often where like we did it with The Strangers. We did the Mothman Prophecies. This isn't very often where a movie just didn't really work for me when when I watched it so well I'm the same way I'm pretty easy to please like I'm the person who I'll tweet just saw this movie and it was great and that's the movie everyone is on Twitter right now saying was horrible because of a b or c I'm pretty easy to please on paper, this should be great. And just behind the scenes stuff, Derek and Aaron came to me and said, hey, we're trying to narrow it down to which found footage movie. And that when it came up, Blair Witch Project or The Taking of Deborah Logan. And I actually said, you know, I tried The Taking of Deborah Logan one time and I just could not get into it. But let's do it because maybe I was in a weird headspace. You know, again, like Derek said, it's on all the lists. It's on all these lists. Whenever you look up found footage movies or scariest movies, it's like on those lists and everyone recommends it. Everyone says it's great. So that had to have been me being in a weird place. I don't know. It had to have been me. I'd love to give it another shot. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like I said, I took notes. I think I know why I didn't get into it. But also, on paper, don't take what I'm saying as a reason to not watch it. Yeah, (laughs) Because I really think that there's a good reason why people really liked it. And I I don't want to belittle anyone. Like, I really don't mean this in any sort of way. But I think it's really good for people who don't watch a ton of horror. You, you like horror, but it's not like your whole life, like the three of us. I feel like it's something that would really shock you and a lot of it would be surprising. 
There are things in it that I know that I, I just called the entire movie within the first half. And my husband yeah. was actually like, how did you do that? It was pretty cute because he was very impressed by me. He's like, you called this and this and this and this. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, to me, it was very predictable. But if you haven't seen every single found footage movie out there, like I have, because I'm a big fan of the genre, I feel like you it would be very effective. And maybe if you're yeah. afraid of old ladies, I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. The horror in this is pretty effective. Like, so for horror newbies, I would say that I'm right on the fence of like recommending this from like a horror movie standpoint, like maybe this being a little too intense for horror newbies. But here's the thing that one of the things that didn't work for me is too intense. Yeah. Tell you more in a second. Yeah. One of the things that didn't work for me is I wanted this to be scarier. Same. I know that's insane. The setup was brilliant. I have to give the first half of this movie, the setup, the slow burn Mm -hmm. is fucking amazing. Jill Larson as Deborah, especially fantastic, Amazing. yeah, yeah, incredible actress. Trooper too, by the way, yeah. as you see her through the movie, uh-huh. fucking trooper of an actress. Yeah, incredible. She did a great job. We've talked about this before with other performances, but. I always really appreciate when you can tell an actor who is a seasoned, has nothing to prove kind of actor. Yes. Has so little ego. Yes. And so few boundaries about what they're willing to do and how they're willing to portray themselves. Naked like multiple times in this movie. Well, beyond that, I mean like beyond like her being naked in this movie. No, no, I don't mean like in a lewd way. I just mean like in a very like clinical medical kind of sense yeah but doing so as an older woman yes and also being dirty and having her hair all gross and messed up and literally on her hands and knees digging in the dirt constantly it was a very physical role it was very physically demanding very willing to go full bore into this role and commit and not have any pretension about herself and her career and her reputation and her image and all that she was willing to at least commit to that performance and i think that's still like I said, it's like the most standout thing yeah. about this yes, movie. Yes, definitely. And I feel like Jill Larson just took her role in Shutter Island as the woman who like <laughs> creepily shushes. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. feel like she just took that and made it into an entire found footage movie. But the horror that's on screen, even just from a real world standpoint, like, again, we always go back to like, what themes do the like horrors does this movie tackle? Right off the bat, Alzheimer's disease. Yes. Losing yourself to this debilitating neurological disease that we have no answer for like there's no cure we can kind of slow it down sometimes because i've worked with alzheimer's patients i worked with them throughout nursing school through some of my clinicals and some of them are actually a danger to be around to themselves and others Mm -hmm. because they can lose their faculty so much it almost is like possession they can hallucinate they can have Mm -hmm. these false memories their mood can swing so severely from being pretty content to like pure rage it's very tragic but it's also kind of creepy sometimes too for sure that's where this movie really worked for me is i love that idea of is this a possession or is it someone just legitimately losing their mind and the way they're losing it through alzheimer's just as manifesting yeah. in very mm-hmm. creepy fucking ways where does that yeah. line cross yeah, yeah. yeah my great grandpa had alzheimer's and there were a few scenes i was explaining to my husband i was like this isn't even the possession part yet this is something yeah. that happens they get very violent sometimes and angry like the angry outbursts i think isn't as talked about in like media when they're addressing Alzheimer's it's more just the memory 
loss, but there is a lot of, not always, I guess, but, you know, the angry outbursts are terrifying. Like, I was a little kid, and watching that, I was having a few flashbacks of, oh my god, I remember witnessing things like this. And this, like I said, this isn't even the ghost part, so, you know. to, like, this movie's credit and Jill Larson's performance, this feels a lot more like a realistic portrayal of, like, aggressive Alzheimer's disease really kicking in. Yes. Before Shelby and I dunk on this movie, like, I do like the premise of spiritual parasites or demons or whatever possess you at your most mentally vulnerable, be it Mm -hmm. the very young, because we're used to, like, children being possessed. Like, that's a big trope. The fucking exorcist. Teenage girls. But you never think about, like, oh, well, what if someone is an elderly patient and they're dying or they have Alzheimer's, and that's how a demon can easily, like, influence them. I really dig that premise. The execution is where, in this movie, is what lost me. Yeah, so... Yeah. But Aaron, what are your thoughts on this movie? Because Shelby and I didn't necessarily respond to it positively. I know you like this movie, or at least you, as far as found footage goes, you like this movie. Despite the found footage, I kind of like this movie just from the standpoint that I think the performances are really strong, first of all. I generally like the idea that it's juggling with a lot of the themes. You know, does it work always? No. Story-wise, I don't think it digs deep enough, but the biggest element I like about the movie, obviously I said the performances of the two leads, but I like their entire relationship. The mother-daughter thing between them is very interesting. Yeah, that's the best part. It read very, very honestly, too. It felt very genuine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I like that the two of them are very grounded in terms of their relationship. They have a sense of inner life and a history and that's a lot of where like the younger cast and like the documentary crew doesn't work because they have zero personality and there's no characters there. There's just voices on the camera, Mm -hmm. you know, but it takes very seasoned actors to portray that non-acting vibe. And Ramsey especially I think is really interesting because there's just so many layers to her character that are there that the movie doesn't full on ever address or have to give you a lot of backstory on but you just have such a sense of these were actual people being filmed Mm -hmm. but the people filming them were like non-entities essentially and that's the stuff that doesn't work for me. You know like I mentioned found footage to me is such a mixed bag as far as the execution side of it goes because so many of them do kind of use this exact method, which is, weirdly enough, what we actually just covered with Andrew on the Cannibal Holocaust episode. I mean, that movie is kind of considered one of the first found footage movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly one of the first found footage horror movies. I mean, there were other found footage movies prior that were like dramas, like The Connection from 1961 is like a drug play that they just adapted into a like found footage in air quotes movie but the whole idea of this is a documentary crew they're shooting a documentary we found their documentary but what happened to them like that entire thing is just used way too much yep the excuse for this being found footage was actually interesting and at least original it makes enough sense yes i think what's goofy about it is we literally just have the one moment at the beginning of hi 
this is what Alzheimer's is. Alzheimer's is really bad. Here's some stock footage of old people. We're going to be talking about <laughs> Alzheimer's. And then it never really <laughs> ever gets back into that stuff again. It's like, how did y'all edit in? Yeah, I was, okay, yeah. thank you. I was wondering, I was right? like, her voice, why does she have a voiceover already? How does she have a perfectly edited voiceover yeah. over these clips yeah. already? I Plus don't understand. montage. Yes. Exactly. Because this is supposed to be her, her like PhD, like final thesis of yes. Alzheimer's disease and it felt like a fucking high school like 10th grade level like presentation on Alzheimer's yeah. disease. And I'm assuming the whole idea is this is the original footage and it hadn't been edited yet because bad things happened. Okay, but then how was the first third of this <laughs> edited? Yes. Well, and I don't know about you Shelby, but this is where the movie really lost me. Movie lost me when we went to the fucking hospital. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was making fun of you about that. I was like, yeah, cancer kids are boring. (laughs) (laughs) I was fine with them bringing in this neurologist from time to time and like her giving her peace. What bugged me was I felt like this movie would have been way more effective if they were contained on the property, if they were mostly in the house and the property around the house. Yeah. I agree. Instead of bringing her to the hospital, they had hospice nurses come in or a nurse come in and stay at the house mm-hmm. and give her care there. Because that would have been a whole other character. That would have been yes, great. Yes, and that could have been a character you could kill off easily. Yes, like, in the, the hospice house. nurse. It would give you an mm-hmm. excuse to really keep hammering in, is this Alzheimer's? Is this something supernatural? That's where you could have made it more terrifying. You could have had more jump scares. You could have had more people questioning what the fuck's going on. Every moment we were in the hospital, it felt like we were no longer longer behind the lens of uh, Luis or whoever the camera operator was. Correct. Yes. Because you're looking at security cam footage through most of it. But it's not even, it's so funny you say that. The hospital is not where it lost me. It lost me earlier. But the hospital is where I was laughing out loud because it had so many, and found footage, bad found footage has this problem, floating cameras that don't exist. Yes. You cannot get outside of your cameras. (laughs) And the hospital scenes were just not a found footage movie anymore. The part where Harris is visiting her in the hospital which that was one of my proudest moments as I called that he was a bad guy who was actually a good guy that you found out yeah. later was actually a good guy. Yeah. Anyway, that trope is fun, but overdone. So first of all, that scene had a lot of floating cameras when he has the pillow mm-hmm. in his hand, a lot of floating cameras. And why did they call the fire department to the hospital? It's a hospital. There was no fire. They like called yes. the fire department at, and they showed that B-roll as if, of course, when someone gets injured, the fire department shows up and it's like, yeah, at a residence or a, a different somewhere that is not a hospital. Why is the fire, fire department there? Then they never show the fire department doing anything because Harris is just in a hospital bed. And this is one that my husband pointed out in that same sort of scene. We noticed cancer kids missing again. Why is she next door to the lady who stole her the f- first time? Why is yeah, she across exactly. the hall from that lady? Why didn't they put her somewhere else? Why is she in the same ward as the Alzheimer's patient? Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, and at least they kicked out Louise and that one scene like where he's yes. trying to get in behind the scenes and like where the doctors are actually like doing procedures which mm-hmm. that made me already roll my eyes because there was no way he would be fucking anywhere like allowed even into yes. that unit but whatever you know that if they somehow had justified him still being in the hospital and getting all that that would have been one thing but like yeah you're right there's floating cameras the other thing like the whole hospital setup drove me up a fucking wall because a there was not enough security if mm-hmm. someone steals a kid even if it's an alzheimer's patient That place is fucking locked down so much. Not one security guard just standing right there. Yeah, it's not one guy going like, hey. And he wasn't even like trying. He was just like, hey. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Like begging to get killed. Mm -hmm. It was just building for that jump scare of, oh, you're being really still. 
boo, now you got me. Yeah. And that's all there was to it. Even if there was enough security to contain her, there would have also been staff members, like male nurses mm-hmm. and doctors. Yeah, there would have been people wandering around. It's a hospital. Anytime that happened when I was working on inpatient, mm-hmm. they would station me kind of in the more like traffic area because I was one of the male nurses. I know this sounds sexist, but like that's what they did. No, you can tackle an old lady if need be. Well, and that's what they're saying is like, you know, especially in the case of an abduction, like it doesn't matter who it is. You're getting the child. That was like whatever. Well, on that note, I mentioned this a while back. I mean, I had to go to the ER for like a crazy emergency thing earlier this year. Granted, still in the middle of COVID, I was there overnight. Like I was there for almost 24 hours in the ER. That place was fucking impact it was constantly busy there were always people running around there's no way that a hospital is going to be that slow yeah this was a very deserted hospital yeah that's fucking oh they're in the deserted wing and it's like the cafeteria oh yeah that was another part that my husband was like why don't they just turn the lights lights on on? yeah (laughs) it's connected to the hospital and they had the neurologist in the front leading all the entire group including the security no 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 no. the security's up front like by the way Luis and dr nazir i actually really like also as actors the only thing is dr nazir i can't i'm sorry what's her the actress's name and bedian she lost me kind of later on but i don't think it was her fault i think it's because a doctor at this point would have definitely taken way further steps than just here's some sedative yeah but in the first part she really sold me as like a doctor just delivering hard news and louise also was my favorite part of the documentary crew because he was the only one who having correct responses to a lot of things well no i i I agree with you yeah you know you had mia Mm -hmm. completely under delivering and underselling on everything that was going on yeah that end scene when she's like still kind of phoning it in and it's like girl yeah. you're like in a cave right now why are yeah. you still <laughs> and you like you've literally seen this woman spit snake venom into somebody's face and melt their face off and she's not yeah and she's still like ah yeah know? and then you have gavin on the other hand who is literally the entire time i heard a door slam what the fuck is going on this standing on the house. counter and i'm stuff. getting the yeah. fuck out of here like everything that happens he's screaming to be fair i would have kind of been gavin in this yeah. situation i would have checked out early too <laughs> yeah and props to him for actually being like getting the fuck out of there <laughs> deuces he left i'm fucking out he left he said he this old left. man shot at my fucking van i'm leaving yeah have you seen and the footage didn't do the goofy thing that so many horror movies do where he goes and gets in the van and then somebody jumps out from the back seat and stabs him or he drives down the driveway and then somebody pops out and like gets the van or whatever like he doesn't die he just goes home <laughs> leaves the movie just goes home bye everybody <laughs> yeah i'm fine and i love that part like because he was getting the van shot out if we want to talk about other real life shit that's going on, imagine if that was someone of another race doing oh, that. Yeah. Because the cop shows up, doesn't even arrest the fucking guy. He was literally shooting. He, they send their most petite police officer for this six foot mm-hmm. three man. And she's like, Harris. Yeah. Aren't what you doing? Oh, you're just <laughs> drinking again. Aww, Dude Harris. was literally shooting into the house at one point. Yes. Could have hit them. Yes. With the shotgun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there was so many like plot hole shit that like made me roll my eyes. And you know, no offense to Michelle Ang who plays me in this. No. But when she's around Anne Ramsey and Jill Larson who are acting circles around <sighs> her, like it's tough. I'm sorry. Like you're in a bad position right now. Well, that's now. the thing. She was another one where in the very beginning, same kind of as Anne Bedian, she 
did sell me as like the documentarian. Like when they showed where she levitates onto the counter, but levitation isn't even the correct word. She just apparates to the top of the counter. Yeah, Yeah, blips. She does sound like that classic horror character who's like, I have a job to do, so I'm going to pretend this isn't happening. And she's just like, Mm -hmm. it's just a time jump. It's I'm sure there's something wrong with the camera. And like, okay, she's doing great. But like you said, when shit starts popping off, she's still too passive and still too like, it's just Alzheimer's. (laughs) And it's like, girl, you just watched her jaw unhinge. Yeah. (laughs) And, And to the point, like characters, they're not consistent. Like with going back to Dr. Nazir, because I'm with you. When she was first introduced and she was just very clinical about stuff, on board, totally fine with that. When she's like handing Mia syringes and be like, yes! just in case, you can sedate the fuck out of her if she gets violent. I mean, also the blocking of that particular scene was so ridiculous and another outside of found footage because it was like they were holding it up to the light. They were clearly holding it in a way for the camera. I don't know. It was just really, it was supposed to be a secretive thing, but it, you could tell they were trying to get it into the camera in a proper way so people could see the light was behind the syringe and everything and it just took me out of the found footage to like this was clearly so carefully blocked they can't even move their arms because they were very stiff and you could tell the director was like I gotta get the light behind the syringe and so it took away some of that fun found footage like just off the cuff feeling you know yeah I'm kind of in the middle of you too like Aaron you struggle with found footage Shelby you love it I'm in the middle Aaron and I have covered the bay like the bay was Mm. found footage TM and it did a little bit of the same thing this movie does where like instead of showing the cameraman it shows security footage it actually just fight right at the beginning of the movie because the investigative reporters like I dug and dug and found all these videos and spliced them all together oh that's right mm-hmm. they could get away with doing different perspectives and like doing the camera through the police vehicle and blah 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 this movie never does that and that's what bothers me but like I love the bay I thought the bay was a great horror movie a great found footage movie which I know is gonna sound sacrilege probably to a lot of our listeners because taking Deborah Logan is on the top of so many found footage lists <sighs> again yeah. there's a lot I do like about it I do love the first half of the movie when it, it does feel like a haunted house possession movie mm-hmm. but like is it possession or is it Alzheimer's like yeah. all of that is generally creepy really creepy I love the way that they treat Deborah Logan how her like literal appearance changes not because she's possessed but because she has fucking Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. because that's what happens not only like do your mental faculties leave you your outward appearance starts worsening and they do explain that in the movie which I appreciated I feel like you do learn a little more about Alzheimer's when the Dr. Nazir really explains the physicalities of it too yeah like you become like a zombie possessed gaunt person Mm -hmm. as you lose your faculties they never call attention to this which I really appreciated during the day when Sarah and Deborah are supposed to be giving the interviews. She's like dressed up again. She has mm-hmm. makeup on. She has either a wig or like her hair done. But then like the times where like it's nighttime and she's wandering the house or like after an event, she is gone. She looks demonic. Her hair almost looks balding. I liked those scenes because the worsening of Alzheimer's was very accurate, but it could mm-hmm. also be like the supernatural presence that's going on. Well, I like that they made sure to really hammer in that she is someone who cares a lot about appearance. Yes. And she very much cares about her own appearance and like you said, the makeup and hair and she's dressed very nice and very feminine too. She's wearing the little cravat scarf to cover the spot on her neck. Yes, exactly. And to see the transition, it's almost like you can tell when she's being possessed because Deborah wouldn't even 
think to be seen like this, you know? Yeah. And they have a few moments where she's mortified the next day. And those parts I thought were very powerful. And you feel for her, like you almost want to cry because she's just so embarrassed. And she's like, I would never do that. And what is this doing to my brain? And I am so sorry. And I will say as much critique as I have for this movie, I loved the backstory. I loved the reason for all the scary shit. I really did. I think that it could have been done way better. But I actually really love the backstory of why all of this is happening. And I think the switchboard is super fucking cool. It could have been utilized more than just that one moment. They should have done yeah. a lot more with the they switchboard. They should have done mm-hmm. more with that. Because yeah, how cool. Like, that's not even something that I'm sure some <laughs> kids who watch that movie don't even know what the fuck that is, you know? Yeah, that all goes back to my original argument. In my opinion, they never should have brought in the cancer patient. Mm-hmm. They never should have brought in the hospital. Like, they should have just stuck to the house. Mm-hmm. Have it be that they're trying to take over one of the nurses or one of the film crew. Yeah. Whatever. Like, if you really like, want to go that route, like... I I really wanted to hear this, even though it was like something I predicted, but it didn't happen. It, it would have been a little bit cheesy. I wanted one of those girls to call through the switchboard. I wanted them to yeah, like yeah. hear one of those girls warning them or something. That would have been spooky as fuck. Yeah. I wanted that to happen so bad and it just didn't happen, you know? That would have been really fucking spooky. Like, Yes. I think too, I mean, to kind of get around a lot of the superfluous stuff, it would have made just as much sense like we were saying to just cut all the stuff at the hospital all the Mm -hmm. stuff with the cancer girl and just have mia be the fifth person that is going to get killed yep trim down the characters simplify the story keep all of it just at the house you can redo the whole thing where it's just he killed women instead of or oh it was on their first period Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You could have actually had her involved with the story more yes. instead of just kind of being the voice behind the camera, you know? She was just point almost a pointless character. Like really was. Yeah. And because you already had Lewis. I did like the reasoning though, like that moment where they explain why Sarah was actually sent to boarding school and all these years she thought it was her mom hated her for having this, you know, lesbian moment in the garage, but you find out it's actually because she was trying to save her. I thought that was a yeah. Beautiful yeah. moment. That's the thing. This movie had some moments that were really good writing. Harris reveal was great for that reason, too. Yes. Her and Harris trying to keep the secret. I loved that. I thought mm-hmm. that was all great. And they could have kept that contained in the house. Yes. And that's kind of where I think I know this is a good movie. I know people like this movie. I think where it hurt to like get to the end of this movie for me personally was that moment where she does like scratch her own neck and almost rips off the yes. top layer skin. Happened so soon. And it's such a shocking like kind of jump scare like creepy moment and I was like this is where the movie's starting holy shit this is gonna be like crazy like scary as fuck sad ride so Mm. intense now we're like Dr. Nazir's for some reason the one in front of the security with syringe in hand leading them into abandoned part of the hospital question and not just not turning on the lights apparently the power was cut off just in this part I agree it was too breakneck going back and forth there would be these weird mini climaxes throughout the movie yeah I know a lot of horror has that it has the jump scare moments. It has the big scary moments. But it would come down so hard. And now we're just doing Alzheimer's stuff. And she's in the garden. Yeah. And nothing scary happens. Yeah, the whiplash is pretty hard. Even at the very end, the whiplash was hard. Because like all everything's finally said and done. Like the bones are burned. Mm-hmm. And then it just cuts this whole <laughs> collage of news. And then it just ends. This old lady kidnapped a girl. <laughs> but everything's okay. Yeah. After murdering like four people, including police. <laughs> I had actually, until this moment, forgotten 
the end end and I blocked it out. I just watched it last night and I blocked it out. I thought that ending was so... I did not like the ending. I mean, I liked how they resolved, but I didn't like the ending itself. The ending strikes me as we didn't have an ending. Yes. But good enough. Okay, we've edited this entire movie. Let's just get the little girl back film like a day Mm -hmm. with her at a fake birthday party and let's just get some people to be like fake news reporters and just tack this ending on but the story at hand yeah has no real ending and we don't know ultimately what happens with either deborah or sarah Mm -hmm. they just kind of float you know assuming that mia like because mia takes over the camera after louise helps that cop down the ridge that's right and goes into the mine with the camera and all the other shit they captured before then so they captured like on camera like yeah. pretty damning evidence of hey possession's a thing yeah the spirit just basically tried to take over this old woman and yeah. transfer itself into this little girl like video footage of her again hawking a venom loogie into the face of a police officer and melting his face off nbd she's fine we're gonna go put her back in the hospital again that was good too when they actually because that got me when they said the security guard was going into anaphylactic shock because it was like why would he do that she just bit him it did get me when i re- when i venom, realized yeah. it was venom yeah that was a nice touch yeah yeah, nice detail. yeah i thought that was good and like i think the thing that most people are gonna really know this movie for is the gif is the gif it's the gif moment yeah that's the thing it was it wasn't it in the tra- i swear it was in the trailer i swear it was in Might the original trailer and it shouldn't have been so i don't know if it was in the trailer or not i'll say when i first saw this movie it literally showed up on netflix Mm -hmm. out of nowhere i had not heard this movie i had not seen any trailers this was 2014 i saw it when it came out on netflix it just appeared and i was like what the fuck is this poster with this evil old lady (laughs) with her glowing eyes and it's like you know all read out posters pretty rad it was one night where i was just like fuck it i'm kind of drunk put this on (laughs) you know through most of it i was just like sure 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 but then when you get to the ending and you see that that moment, that's the one part where I was like, okay, all right, I can say I've never seen that before, at least. For sure. Again, from that moment on, it has been gift to like fucking Helen back. And, you know, you're right, it could be in the trailer for all I'm aware. I haven't seen the trailer for this. But, uh, yeah, that's the moment where Derek went into this movie having already like known what that moment was. And I was like, well, shit, there's a lot of the reason to watch this movie done. Uh, the other thing, and, and Shelby and I joked about this off air, like, before this episode recording they do the fucking jump scare setup so many times where like she's standing still her (laughs) face is to the wall or like she's just standing there and she like slowly looks over the camera from like a distance and it's never anything like terrifying spooky yes creepy yes you know that part where like the guy tries to hang the cross on the window and the like window shoots open and then she like comes from the side out of the darkness that was pretty creepy yeah that was a good scare that one got me i thought that was a good character choice too i thought that was a fun character thing to do yeah Yeah. but then like by the time we get to the jump scare or like the reveal that like (sighs) they had just built it up so much and done so many false jump scares and other jump scares with that thing Mm -hmm. because like the camera like falls and then it comes back up then it falls and like it's going around the rock slowly and then finally it goes around the rock and you see like her in her full snake demonic form which i actually even having seen the gif a bajillion times i did think that scene was still pretty effective it's pretty effective 
perspective, yeah. Yeah. I hated that, like, the journey to get to it was the journey we went on because, like, again, there's a lot to love about this movie. The portrayal mm-hmm. of Alzheimer's is something we don't see very often in films. Like you said, Shelby, earlier, it's usually, like, the memory loss. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, you know, Hollywood version of memory loss. Like, they're the still, clean like, they're clean. Yeah, Alzheimer's, yeah. yeah. This one is much more dirty. Like, it is. This movie actually, like, shows it for what it is. Love that. Mm-hmm. The switchboard stuff is actually pretty interesting. Wish there was more in it. The, the reveal of the serial killer who like is doing a Native American snake ritual to be immortal is a stretch, but it is something that I didn't see coming. And then they were like really <laughs> about him being French Canadian, which was funny to me. They were like, he is <laughs> French Canadian. Dude, you don't forget that. He's She's speaking French. She doesn't know French. He's from Quebec. That was kind of funny. Yeah. But I will say the scariest part of the movie to me, and I did think this was scary. It was twofold because it was a setup. When he goes to put the necklace on the window and he's going through the papers of her paintings and you see the figure the getting closer and you bloater, see yeah. that last one where there's that creepy face and it kind of has a skull and when they burn the body there's that split second where you see him in the window that yeah. was scary to me that is a good scare that one got me too that was really good i don't know if it was that it was so good or if it was that it was finally a different type of jump scare like you said every jump scare was the same it was her being creepy that should have been the jump scare that along the lines of like seeing the shadow in the window or something should have been more of the jump scares we were going towards yes i thought we were gonna see more in the window the whole time they showed her bedroom more haunted house stuff i thought they were yeah. we were at least gonna see even like a shadow pass in her bedroom or yeah. seeing him just out of frame him in the like standing there or something like i said seeing him in the window was so scary i don't understand why they didn't do more of that because it doesn't seem like it was expensive yeah i don't know well and remember the scene where she's like sitting in front of her own mirror and like sounds like she's yelling at someone yeah that all was creepy as fuck or like when mm-hmm. a camera would be like hiding kind of behind the door on her mm-hmm. and then she'd turn around and look directly at them and you oh yes. shit yeah. she caught me because basically. the shadow clearly told her that someone was there that would yeah. have been like just like I said a whisper of a shadow in one of those scenes chills you know yeah. oh there he is I know it's haunted house tropes but they're effective for a reason they are exactly this movie is trying to do two different things with introducing the whole hospital and the cancer girl abduction well and- I don't know if it's that they didn't think enough of the audience they thought that we were still convinced she it was just Alzheimer's because it felt like that's almost what they were doing for too much of the movie was like still yeah. dancing around the paranormal stuff except for Gavin that's the one who ran away right yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gavin's the only one still pointing it out the evidence they were getting like I think you said Derek where it's like no you're getting like severe paranormal evidence and everyone's yeah. still pretending this is just Alzheimer's and I wonder if that's what the writers were really trying to go for like we can't put a shadow in because it's not ghost time yet you guys ghost time is later yeah, yeah. and as soon as you bring in snake cult from the <laughs> 70s yes. that was done by a fucking again french canadian quebecois serial killer which again they kept saying he's from quebec right yeah yet they're insisting on constantly pronouncing his name as if he were spanish (laughs) they did right dejardine instead of desjardins yeah i thought that was funny when i first saw it and then they said that i was like oh i like it when they do moments where like someone's mispronouncing something because it it makes it feel real like they don't really know yet but then that's not what it was i did love the old timey um 
documentary she watches though i think that was really well done yeah yeah that, that kind of <laughs> where they showed up. like the snakes that they found and they show the old crime scene photos in the one like a woman you can just see her like stump of a hand i just thought that was so well done and i was like who did the fake documentary yeah. whoever did that part your b team needs to come in and do some stuff for the rest of the movie <laughs> again could have just kept it in the house just them on the computer at the house watching it mm-hmm. this is always a trope that makes aaron and i laugh it's in a lot of movies not just horror but movies in general the expert trope where like they pause the film and they like go to a library yeah. or go to like yes. and then this this film has it in spades. This is Dr. Bennett Tremaine, snake cult specialist. Anthropologist. And it just cuts to, like some yeah. fat old guy with a goatee with glasses just being like, Yes, during my studies into the snake cults of Quebecois. He he sounds like he was straight out of Cannibal Holocaust. He acts like he was the anthropologist in that movie because he's just like, Yes, I lived among them and oh my Oh my yeah. God, I, forget. I yes, met this woman whose child died and she became the child until the I witch forgot. Doctor yeah. Did yeah. How did he help it? Well, it was a witch doctor and then they burned the body. And oh my God. It was almost <sighs> comical, like how typical that whole scene was. It would have cracked me up too if they actually burned the body and it actually just made things worse. And they were like, wait, I thought this was supposed to work. And it's like, where'd you hear this from? This documentary? Yeah, that documentary was about African tribal ritual yeah, bullshit. You fucking this has racist. nothing to do with yeah. that. <laughs> Damn it, we did the wrong thing. I did like in the documentary where they talked to the old man and he happened to be the paper boy at the time who like smelled the dead bodies. And I don't know, I just thought that was a cute thing. Like they had thought to age up someone in the little documentary, but yeah. You would think he'd be like scarred for fucking life. Like, cause didn't he like wander in on one of the bodies? Yeah. Right? He's just like sitting at a diner like, yep, deliver the paper and there's a strange <laughs> smell. Yeah, you know, like all the stuff with the mine was fine. It is kind of funny how close i guess the mine shaft was to everything the hospital their property like yeah, again if it would have just stayed on the property it would have been fine yeah and, and they could have done so much with the reveal of them digging up the bones yes. under that statue that could have been such a more creepier moment if they kept it on the property and it was straight up found footage like this is just all being shot by lewis the whole time mm-hmm. aaron i feel like shelby and i have been overshadowing yes. you uh, dunking on this movie so i mean it's mostly because i'm agreeing with a lot of what y'all have to say. I mean, because like I said, what I enjoy about this movie is not necessarily any of the actual technical execution of this. Like, I enjoy watching the two lead actresses. They're kind of what get me in this movie. I like, again, a lot of the ideas and themes that are here. I just don't think it always pulls them off well. So, like, okay, here's ideas and fears and just general things that I find interesting that this movie kind of touches on. Losing someone you love to an illness that can, like, completely take over your mind or your body. How fucking little we understand of the human brain and the human body and how much of a weird thing that is that we still just don't know enough about. Aging and dealing with an aging loved one and not being able to live your own life, which that's like an interesting push-pull thing with their relationship. You can tell Sarah has a whole entire fucking life mm-hmm. completely away. She probably has not seen her mother in years mm-hmm. until all this started. She probably got drugged back to this shitty hometown that she didn't want to ever come back to. She probably thought for the longest time her mom wouldn't accept that she was queer, right? Mm-hmm. Probably so. That That was probably a factor as far as why she left. And just, I have a life. I have shit I'm doing. I have a job. I have a wife. I have my own shit going on. 
And now I'm having to come back Mm -hmm. and deal with my parent that I don't have the best relationship with, but I am trying my best to make it work. All of that stuff, I think, is very interesting and not always the kind of stuff that you see in horror movies, but I think it's the stuff that makes horror movies good when you have those kind of relatable, Mm -hmm. personable things happening. For these kinds of movies especially, that stuff is just never really in the picture these kinds of movies are so plot driven they're trying to keep you kind of engaged with what's going on there but the character stuff in this is what i like first and foremost i mean that that is still kind of the main thing Mm -hmm. the other thing too i mean this is a general discussion because again i think the movie tries to deal with this but it doesn't actually fully really get into it and i don't think it actually discusses it enough in depth but the entire idea that physical mental illness was understood for a long time in every culture around the world and still is in many places considered to be results of demonic possession or sins Mm -hmm. right especially like sins of your parents or whatever like a generational curse kind of thing right you know i've mentioned it on the show before but i grew up in a pretty intense non-dom church Mm -hmm. down here when i say that okay just for clarification like not not non-denominational they're still a denomination they just no non-dom this was not baptist this was not methodist this was also not uh i'm trying to think of what the specific group is the big hair the jeans Pentecostal. This was not Pentecostal. This was not snake candle or weird. A universal church? No, no. This was like a very, not enough money to be mega church, but very much the like, oh, it's cool and hip. Yeah, this is cool youth group. and uh, Acoustic guitars. Yeah, and- it's very like put hands up in the air, speak in tongues, but like nobody's handling snakes kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of that kind of weird shit in that church where like, Oh, you have depression. It must be because your parents fucked up somehow or another. Uh, You need to pray and do all this atonement to break this generational curse that's on you. That's what's causing this problem, not you have fucked up brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. There was just a lot of that kind of stuff. It's a demon in your brain. Yeah. Even in like modern day, right? Just the idea that there is something else causing this and it can be fixed and it can be fixed just through like prayer. Being real hard. You know, that's some bullshit. But that entire idea, you know, any kind of mental illness, like especially schizophrenia, especially Alzheimer's, especially depression, like any of those kinds of things, oh, there has to be something else going on. It can't just be our bodies are really fucking weird and frail and we don't fully understand how they work. That's stuff that I find really interesting. And this movie never fully crosses the line into actually having that discussion, but it always acts like it's about to. Mm. It's, yeah. a, it's always teeing up for like, this is where the movie's going to go, and then it doesn't. And I think it would have been more interesting if it had delved more head on into that entire discussion. But, you know, as is, like, it immediately goes, like we said, from the Alzheimer's thing directly into like, oh, just snake cult. 
<laughs> this serial <laughs> yeah. killer guy is just possessing her now, and she's now a puppet. Like, that's immediately what's happening, right? And they, they could have kept his ghost trying to, like, hop on her broken brain, basically. Like, they could have revealed all that yeah. and just... Or just given us a stronger reason why her, besides she's old and is dealing with Alzheimer's, so she is frail. Because it says at one point in time, like, these spirits, especially people who are, like, infirmed or have mental illness are, like, especially vulnerable to these types of spiritual parasites or whatever. Sure, okay, whatever. But then, like, the other maybe reason we get for, again, why her, is she was the switchboard operator for this town. She knew everybody's secrets, question mark? Yeah. And so, like... Okay, sure, but like, what did she find out? Did she about find out that this doctor was the serial killer? Desjardins. <laughs> yeah. Now I need to go kill him. Yeah, they never say. Right? We know she kills him. Yeah. We, we know that much. Well, like, we, know, we know that she knows well, that he her, was planning her on... daughter's going to be next. Yeah. Correct. Yes. But how but did how she find that did, out? But how the fuck did he call someone and say that? Because it yeah. seemed like he was working. Wasn't he working alone? Or was he? did he have someone? I can't remember. Uh, I think he I think he had like just a private practice. Like, 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 like Working alone. Yeah. yeah. So who was he calling to be like, hey, I'm exactly. going to get this bitch's daughter next. I know she's this, the operator and I know and it's it's current times. I know how operating works, so I know she can hear me, but I'm going to say anyway, yes, you know? exactly. Unless at that point he like was full blown like serial killer likes fucking with people and taunting them before he does the deed. Which would have been good too to find out. Like he called her and like messed with her before and yeah. that's how she knew. That would have been. Yeah. I, I wish there would have been a better explanation, but that would have at least worked and been fine. Like, yeah, yeah. There could have been better set up for that, for sure. Again, the switchboard was so cool and would have been such a great... It's it's rife for ghosting, you know? <laughs> having the dead women call. Like I said, that was my idea, but having one of those women call would have been crazy. Having him call and then just speak French through her was... Uh, it yeah. didn't work for me. It just didn't work. It wasn't yeah. scary. I, I don't know. And then, honestly, the dialogue, when they play it back and he's translated it was so beyond cheesy and I know it was supposed to be cult stuff but like gonna wash you in the river Jesus. you'll know blood that drives me crazy <laughs> in literally any horror movie when there's like oh this person's speaking a different language oh yeah it's uh, it's it's Balinese what you speak Balinese whatever dude my aunt's Balinese yes I speak Balinese I come on like there's always that weird moment and you can't ever make out like the audio is literally just it was like you can't understand what any of it is actually saying it's like hold on i got this if he had been speaking english i wouldn't have understood half of it yeah exactly (laughs) so that that's one of those tropes that always kind of drives me up the wall oh my god let alone when it's like you're translating it and it's like there will flow rivers of blood from henceforth the valley it just like no how do you no you can't even only time i accept it again is event horizon when he's like (laughs) when he's holding his own eyeballs yeah and he's speaking latin i'm literally going on a show next week to talk about event horizon so it's so funny that you keep mentioning it so like event horizon and the one quote from jaws are like the ongoing inside joke i constantly bring to this podcast event horizon's the goofiest shit but we both kind of loved it but yeah like that's the stuff that drives me crazy in these movies is oh yeah no of course i know all about this other language or this cult or whatever yeah and french was weird because we established 
literally in the first 10 minutes of the movie that she had been to Europe and she was very well traveled. And that was one of the first depressing things that she had forgotten. And she said, I'd always wanted to go to Europe. I've always wanted to go to Germany. And Sarah says, mom, you did. You did. You went. You've been. So French wasn't that much of a stretch for her to know. Like, it wasn't like, she doesn't speak French. Like, come on. She's like a world traveler. You know, if she's been to Europe, it's not weird that she would have known, I guess, not cult French. Yeah. (laughs) But if the translation would have even been like, it should have been Sarah. I don't know. Something not fucking blood will rain down and come from the snakes. And like. (laughs) And then later on, you have the little girl be like, she's my friend. She's. She's gonna wash me in the river. It's just like, oh my god. So that one part, that the only good writing I will say from that part is the little girl at one point says he and refers to Deborah yeah, as he. he. Yep. And I was, I was like, that was a good little. Okay, it's because no now that, yeah. she's De Hardin now. Yeah. So you know, beyond those themes mm-hmm. that again the movie like kind of tees up, kind of gets into. That's kind of about it for me. Like I said, it, it's really just the central performances. The central performances do carry this mm-hmm. movie. Like yes, as much as Shelby and I have dunked on this, it's still a, a solid horror movie. And I one hundred percent agree with what you said earlier that this is a good starter movie. Because you yeah. know what? This is not as dark and fucked up as, I don't know, Benny's video is a good, just right off the top of my head, Michael Haneke movie that's really fucking disturbing and weird. Yeah, it's not like walking into Jacob's Ladder, you know? Yeah, it's not <laughs> as intense roller coaster nonstop yeah. as Wreck. Yeah. It doesn't have that kind of, which Wreck was one that we've been wanting to do for a while, but uh, let's just say that we're about to like get into similar territory coming up soon, mm-hmm. so we didn't want to like front load that, but that's nonstop mm-hmm. intense. That one can be maybe a little bit much, especially for people that aren't used to watching found footage either, because that one has a lot of <laughs> cameras like really, really yeah. moving around, and this is one of those, that, yeah, this is enough of a dip the toe into this subject genre and it's relatively accessible enough mm-hmm. without a ton of gore without a ton of explicit themes and situations yeah. happening that like this is a very good you're 13 14 years old you want to watch some shit on netflix with your friends one night yes Ooh, it throw is throw this movie on perfect this is like a great movie for that the cliffhanger is very much reminded me of are you afraid of the dark type totally, cliffhangers yeah. and also yeah. does anyone die in this movie besides the uh <laughs> the cult man the cult man the yeah. cop dies does the cop die yeah she kills yeah, a cop. Okay. The cop but you don't see it it's off screen you just hear the gunshot and then see the body that's right it's implied okay. that maybe one or two of the hospital staff died too but like we don't find out but if they actually know. die like we don't find that's out. one thing i did notice was like the lack of body count in this movie yeah that's why yeah. if they would have kept in the house they could have brought in like hospice nurses or mm-hmm. something and were like had maybe a little bit more crew members and you could kill them off something else felt like a missed opportunity to me was i was expecting there to be way more with the motion cameras that were around the house mm-hmm. and there was practically nothing i was awaiting for that jump scare of the, it cut it keeps cutting and then one cut is like her face demonically in front of it looking up at the camera and then it like the camera cuts out waiting for that jump scare never happened but uh i think you're right i think this is a good enough movie i mean fucking jill larson and ann ramsey alone carry it yeah the performances are incredible incredible like i said i think this is a good starter horror Mm -hmm. movie i think this is a good one for younger kids Mm -hmm. who are interested in horror to get into 
you know, I think a lot of the reason why this has such positive critical reviews, you know, Derek and I keep going back and forth on this and we keep talking about this with various things, but this is one of those that this is enough normie horror that critics who normally do not like horror You're could right. be totally surface fine with and be like, yeah, sure, this yeah, was totally fine. This was spooky. It was good. Because it does not go completely full extreme, way too much to where the critics are just like, fuck horror, you know, I, yeah, uh, trash. The whatever, only time right? it gets close to that is that final reveal where she's like snake trying to eat mm-hmm. the little girl and she's full monster form, the gif. But even then, that's shocking. That's not gory. That's not- No, no, it's not gory, but it's like, it does feel like it's almost in a different horror movie at that point little well by that point yeah at the very end where it finally kind of does go off the edge with trying to be horror finally yeah yeah you know i will say like again compared the other two movies off the top of my head that week we didn't necessarily respond very well to on this podcast the strangers and then mothman prophecies i do think this is a better movie than both of them strangers is certainly one that people fucking love too so people love that movie mm-hmm. yeah and i do think that this is a better movie mm-hmm. i had to air my grievances so i didn't i kind of am glad we're on the same page because i i felt kind of crazy because like when the credits rolled i was just like did i miss something like everyone loves this movie like yeah did this just not work for me am i crazy and i don't know it almost feels like you know how horror movies always get constantly get reevaluated but it's always a positive reevaluation mm-hmm. i wonder if this would get reevaluated and then people be like oh maybe it wasn't as good as we thought it was back in 2014 yeah maybe i think we're maybe. kind of already at that place though yeah you know, when it came out, a lot of people were high on mm-hmm. it because found footage was still like really a booming subgenre and people were kind of getting burned out on it. And there was just maybe some elements that people were like, okay, cool. Yeah, this is different, I guess. Yeah. It certainly does tackle some ideas that are different. Mm-hmm. I think we're just it at does. that point now where I think it is being reevaluated and a lot of people are like, eh, it's it's fine. You yeah. Know, it's, like it's, it's a solid six and a half out of 10, you know? It's a good starter movie. It really is. Because nobody you love or care about dies. If they do die, it's like hospital worker cop we just met. Or was it the cop we just met or was it the girl? I can't even remember now. It was, it was Sheriff Tweed, yeah. <laughs> the one who like... I definitely didn't care about whoever it was. Um, yeah, the sheriff you know? who didn't arrest the fucking drunk who was shooting out windows. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Gavin, who was like, prime, this guy is going to die. Die, yeah. He yeah. drives home. He goes home. He goes He's home. Done. So I, I, we usually wrap up doing a little bit of what the director and cast makeup and what they've done so Aaron if you want to like take the reins on that like you usually do so yeah not a lot to talk about here necessarily will be pretty quick because this is a small cast and everything but the director Adam Robitel has kind of worn several different hats over the years and has been in movies like literally been in the original X-Men but he was the writer director for Insidious The Last Key and the two Escape Room movies that have come out which apparently are also pretty fun so I I haven't checked those out yet before Insidious The Last Key he wrote one of the Paranormal Activity sequels The Ghost Dimension yeah yeah oh The Ghost Dimension wasn't a bad one the whole movie was shot around the Charlotte, North Carolina area, $1.5 million budget. Like I mentioned earlier, they just directly threw this on VOD. So it was on Netflix. It was on VOD rental pretty much right away. We want to talk about some other real life horror. Uh, Robotel also dated one of the producers of this movie. 
Brian Singer. Oh, really? That's right. I, yeah. My husband wanted me to bring that up, that yeah. Brian Singer was a producer on this. Brian Singer. That's got to be a story. Yikes. But yeah, they apparently were dating when mm-hmm. X-Men was being filmed, actually. Interesting. So that's why he's just randomly in X-Men. Okay. Oh. Yeah, and maybe why Singer is attached as a producer to this. Yeah, because that was bananas when that popped up at the end. I was not expecting Brian Singer as a producer. <laughs> yeah, when I saw it, I was like, ooh, this didn't age well. <laughs> yeah, really. So yeah, like we mentioned already, Jill Larson plays Deborah, and like you mentioned, she has a small role in Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. The main thing that she is known for is she was on All My Children yes. for 761 episodes. I realize it's a soap, and it's on every day, but still, like, what the fuck? That's so much. It's a lot of episodes. Not only that, she was a series regular from 1989, I think, all the way to, like, 2010 or 2009, if I read that correctly. And then she showed up in 2013 on a one-off episode, too. Yeah. yeah, she was mostly known for that. But that there's a handful of people that we've talked about over the course of this show that we were just like, oh, Matthew Gray Goobler's been on Criminal Minds for 15 years. Isn't he like 27? <laughs> what the fuck, right? 360 something episodes. That's crazy. Louise Lasser from Blood Rage was on fucking Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman for like 9,000 episodes. Just how do people do that? I right? don't know. Anne Ramsey plays Sarah, the daughter. She has been on a ton of TV, yes. uh, specifically Mad About You. She also, again, 134 episodes of Mad About You. There you go. But she's in A League of Their Own, Critters 4, Planet of the Apes, the uh, Burton one. And then she's done a lot of TV since, including Six Feet Under and Dexter. Michelle Ang is Mia. She was on a lot of TV as well. John Hillcoat's Triple Nine, Fear the Walking Dead, Soderbergh's High Flying Bird, the Twilight Zone reboot show. And she is the voice of Omega on Bad Batch, which is one of the new Star Wars animated shows. Saw that, oh, yeah. Which okay. that kind of cracked me up because I literally right now have an action figure of her like sitting on my desk. Oh my god, that's funny. So that kind of cracked me up i will say i was not super impressed with her in this movie but i would like to see her in this other stuff especially high flying bird because i've heard that that is a very solid flew under the radar steven soderbergh movie Mm -hmm. and he's really great about his casting so i can't imagine she's bad in that Brett Gentile plays Gavin. He was in a bunch of TV shorts. We're the Millers. He was in Walking Dead, Ozarks. I also noticed that Jeremy DeCarlos that plays Louise and Tanya Bloodsworth that played Sheriff Tweed, they all have worked with Gentile on a bunch of stuff. So like, mm. it seems like they had kind of their two or three lead people and then all the rest of the documentary crew and extras were all local actors for the most part. Uh- Oh, okay. Ryan Catrona that plays Old Man Harris. He's been in a ton of TV as well. He's in The Last Boy Scout, Cuffs, The Psycho Remake, The Collection. And then he's done voice work on video games, including L.A. Noir and Dishonored. So yeah, like I said, that's kind of it for this cast. So there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of anything interesting as far as the production of this movie goes. I mean, they shot it, they put it out, done, it's out now. And, you know, there's not any kind of back-end drama or controversy. There weren't any kind of alternate takes. This is kind of one of those rare examples of everything just went fine and they made a movie. Yeah, I saw they didn't screen it for critics at all. So it was just, it literally was just, we made a movie and here it is. Dropped onto Netflix. 
Netflix. Yep. Yeah. That was interesting to me because that ending felt like an ending they attached because of critics to me. I thought about that totally, when I saw it. I was like, totally. oh, I bet critics didn't like the bad ending and they had to put yeah, in like yeah. a less, because even though it was still a cliffhanger, it wasn't bad, bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this very much seems like a notes ending. It does. Yeah, for sure. It does. Yeah. Again, like with Brian Singer being, it being produced by him, mm-hmm. it is a little strange that in 2014, well, in 2014, was he, had he shit the bed by then or like no, was it I just coming out? I don't think so. I mean, he's, He's had a bad reputation for a long time. For a he while. has. He used to come into the coffee shop I worked at and he was an asshole. So yeah. I personally have not been a huge fan of his since like 2008. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's plenty of evidence out there pointing to him being quite a shithead. But yeah. You might be right that it was stuff was coming out or at least they knew because th- if that stuff wasn't coming out yet, they would have splashed his name on that cover a lot more. Like it wouldn't have been like a Brian Singer at the end. It would have yeah. been like he would have been definitely like part of the publicity correct i don't think it would have said from the producers of x-men and trick and trick it would have just said brian Brian singer Singer. we all know who he is yeah i mean there is a theatrical poster for this movie so do they still release theatrical posters even for movies that like would just drop on streaming or well yeah they still have to have a poster for like promo and Mm -hmm. advertising and everything else although this movie didn't really do any advertising you know oh you know the poster on imdb does say from producer brian singer oh it does actually okay i just remember seeing like from the producer of x-men same i don't remember seeing his name like i feel like i would have remembered seeing his name but maybe the newer ones don't and this might be the original maybe this is yeah yeah, the newer one the one i'm looking at right now is it says theatrical release poster and it says from the producers of x-men and trick-or-treat and that's it and there's no other oh okay yeah, this one says from producer Brian Singer. Wow. Interesting. So clearly there was a little bit of story behind the scenes there. Yeah. Someone made some decisions. Shelby, I don't know how you feel about this other movie, but I think another problem for me with this, my viewing experience for this movie was that we have just come off The Babadook and I fucking loved The Babadook. Mm. And that also came out in 2014. It did. So, and that movie is head and shoulders, in my opinion. The, that movie is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. So I was already like kind of on a high from that I'm like oh we're doing another 2014 well regarded horror movie well regarded by both critics and fans like this mm-hmm. is gonna be great and then it was nowhere near the level of the Babadook for me and God, the Babadook was so great I mean it was such a surprise it was yeah. I, I think that's the thing like even now it's I haven't seen much like it I know some people have kind of tried but that was such a surprise like I said I tried watching Deborah Logan when it around when it was gonna come out and I just didn't grab me and that could be it maybe it was something similar I don't remember when I tried to watch it for, for the first First time could have been the same thing. Yeah, you had it follows coming out. Then there, there, there seemed to be like all yeah. these quality horror movies that dropped around the same time. Well, and this feels like it should have fit in with this story we've never heard before yeah. with the Alzheimer's, but then it turned into a story we've heard a million times with the cult stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Yep, they yep. took a very interesting original concept and made it banal. And if we're going to do possession cult stuff or possession in general like lean into the Alzheimer's and also lean into the spiritual parasite like this is just another Mm -hmm. person who refuses to move on and was murdered but like also they were a fucking serial killer and they kind of want revenge but also kind of want to live again. Lean more into that idea and that it doesn't turn out to be a demon or anything it's just a fucking undead madman. Well and the locations I think you're right I think the hospital locations kind 
kind of looked cheap. I'm not going to lie. I think they filmed maybe in like a real hospital, but you can tell they only got permission to film in like a small part of it, which is why Cancer Girl was right there (laughs) next to her after she'd been kidnapped. I mean, my husband actually pointed this out when the sheriffs show up near the end. It was clearly just SUVs with stickers on them. Like what they didn't actually rent like fake sheriff's cars. He made me pause and rewind. He's like, look at these. It's just stickers. Like, and they weren't even done very well. I think that they wanted to, I don't know, spend the money. I don't know what it was, but it was like, if they would have just kept it at that house, it would have been so scary. And it would have had that claustrophobic feeling of we can't leave because she has to be here because she's in hospice and we have to stay here with her. And like, it would have felt like you can't leave even though it's not that type of haunted house movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and one last thing kind of going back to like, you mentioned rewinding it, rewatching that part. I did the same thing for the scene where like, she took the girl where I'm realizing wait they're arguing right outside both rooms why is that and that's when I realized like y- y'all said the little girl's like right there right there oh Jesus right here. Christ yeah. okay, <laughs> alright cool well uh <laughs> I guess let's go ahead and call it there solid 7 out of 10 <laughs> yeah I'm so sorry everyone who loves this movie I apologize and your show notes are gonna be like send all complaints to scary to sleep at gmail.com <laughs> Please, whatever you do, before you stop listening to us, five stars, both our shows on iTunes. Yeah. So, I look, like like we said, this movie is fine. It is a, like, it's fine. solid 6.5 out of 10. Mentioned earlier, this is a very good movie for teens to throw on. Mm-hmm. Friday night, you're hanging out with your friends. Cool. Toss this shit on. There is nothing in here that your parents are going to walk in on and be like, what the fuck are y'all watching? I'm sure it'll scare the Mm -hmm. shit out of a a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Imagine being at a sleepover, you're 13, and it gets to the unhinged jaw scene. Yeah. Like, that's a bunch of, to me, screaming girls in a room. That'd be a ton of fun, you know? Totally. So, yeah, this is definitely one of those that has its place, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to dig this movie. Just, it's a little silly for us, I think, is kind of how we came down on it. Again, just following Babadook and the cannibal movies like yeah we've gone to like really intense bottoms of human depravity and then we've gone to like some of the best written art horror bullshit in the last couple years and so this is firmly in the middle you know (laughs) yeah so anyway i think that's probably where we all come down on this at the end of the day so all that said this was another episode of watch if you dare a horror movie podcast with me your movie monster boy and my cowardly co Derek. Once again, big thanks to Shelby Scott from Scare You to Sleep Podcast. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me again. I love being on here. I love talking with you guys. This is the best. Yeah, no, you're welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Maybe next time we'll get we'll get back to another movie you like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Shelby, what are what are your handles? Oh, it's everything at Scare You to Sleep for Twitter, Instagram. There's a Facebook group. My show's on all the platforms again, so you can find it anywhere. Uh, So, yeah. Download all of our future and past episodes on pretty much any podcatcher that you want going forward. We are on all of them. As always, you can find us on social media at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. We also have our Spoopy Tunes music playlist on Spotify. So that is pinned to our Twitter page as well. Yeah, I just added a couple tracks to it, actually. And as always, big thanks to my little brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for providing the music 
music bumps at the beginnings and ends of all of our episodes. As always, you can find him on Bandcamp under Party Gator or Opossums or Big Clown or any of the other acts that are linked off from there. I mentioned it already, but he is back to playing shows again in the Memphis area and just kind of generally in that whole region. So if you live that way, keep your ears open and go check out some of his shows now that they are back touring again. So that is going to be it. Uh, Your boy is tired. It is late here. So I'm going to go ahead and get off of this web chat. Wait, so that's it? You just start recording sessions and then bounce in the middle of it? If this is about Sally... Look, hey, it's not about Sally, okay? That's just the fucking shitty icing on this shitty fucking cake.